The following program contains mature language and potential spoilers. Listeners be advised. Fans of the channel are going to know that I have not been a very big fan of Christopher Can't Write Well at Marvel Comics. The relationship between Tony Stark and Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, a.k.a. fourth-rate Batwoman. And apparently, they're going to take their relationship to the next level. And this is this is about exactly what I'd expect from Christopher Can't Write Well. So basically, this character, Patsy Walker, has been nagging Tony and uh, telling him he's a piece of shit because he's white and he's rich and, and whatnot and putting him in his place and, and stuff like that. And now Tony is going to somehow acquiesce despite being a billionaire playboy, you know, not having a problem with the ladies. He's been in a lot of relationships over the years and he's going to put a ring on this one. The fucking hag, the nag that, that has been bugging him and ruining his comic book series is finally he's going to try to tie the knot. It's 2020. I can tell you that because I was looking to read that material. And unfortunately, because it was 2020, they had to have an event miniseries called Iron Man 2020 about Arnold Stark that involved like five or six other spinoff titles and one shots and miniseries and shit. And then it's like, well, how do I find Iron Man that was launched in the year 2020 probably out of that event? Well, it's gonna be a little bit trickier. Are we recording? Welcome to the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm Diablo Frank and with me is Illegal Machine. And the reason why I'm talking at the beginning is because Illegal Machine's going to be doing a lot more talking than I am because he read a two-year run of Iron Man comics and I read like a five-issue miniseries and an annual. So he's got a lot more shit to say than I do. So do you want to recap the reason why this is happening? Yeah, we can talk about this. Hey, so, hey, by the way, yeah, isn't it nice? We're talking about comic books on the talk- Marvel Superheroes podcast? We're going to talk about a lot of comic books, you guys. Change of pace. Um, we, we, and with Hellcat, which I know a lot of people like listening to us talk about Hellcat. It's been a while. Do they? I, don't, I like talking about it. I don't know if anybody likes listening to us. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I... <laughs> This is definitely not the first time listening to the podcast. It could be somebody's first time listening to the podcast. I don't know. I don't um, think we talked about this on this podcast. That we talked about it. I put throw it on a rolled spine B roll. Yeah, we so. did. So uh, that's what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Again. Um, although I should probably have listened to that because I don't totally remember all the details myself of how I found this stuff. So uh, I don't know if I was just browsing Amazon or I, I saw a story that Christopher. You told me, you told me YouTube videos. What you well, no, I get to that. I'll okay. get to that. Christopher Cantwell, who is a writer for Marvel Comics, his run. He started the reboot of Iron Man after I think Dan Slott wrapped up. Up, right? See, uh, you've been out of comic books for a while. I've been out of comic books. Okay, so let me actually let me back up and talk so, about that. So, I'm an they, Iron they, Man. They don't do reboots anymore. Literally, every year or two, almost every title restarts okay. from one. Let, let, so let me set that stage first. So I'm an Iron Man fan. I'm an OG Iron Man fan from like late '80s into the '90s. I'm a I'm a Bob Layton, Dave Michelini, uh, first and second run guy. Uh, you were around for John Byrne and John Romita Jr. and Paul Ryan and Lynn Kaminsky. Lynn Kaminsky. My boy, Lynn Kaminsky. Kevin, Kevin Hopgood. Who's the one that you like the best? You, you, there's uh, one particular artist that you liked, wasn't there? Uh, I had his name too. Morgan. Um, Tom Morgan? Tom Morgan. Okay. Huge Tom Morgan yeah, guy. I love Tom Morgan. He's I great. would love to get some Tom Very Morgan. Very underrated artist. Original Iron Man art. His so run Iron he, Man I, think, I felt like he was the modern uh, Sal Buscema, except oh. that his career outlived Sal Buscema. Sal Buscema's career outlived his, it seemed like, because he doesn't really do a lot anymore. So Sal was there in the beginning, and Sal is still doing stuff at the end of the comic book lifespan. So I faded out after post-crossing um, 
post. Uh, you were there for Heroes Reborn. You, yeah, I was you, there for you Heroes Reborn. I was say, and Heroes Reborn, and then when they came back from Heroes Kurt Reborn Buzik, with yeah, Kurt Busiek and Sean Chin. A few years into that. Yep. Oh no, you were. You did you finally die out with Joe Quesada and and Mike Grell? No, I did. It was yeah. It was it was when Grell started. That was sort of where I was sort of like I'm kind of done with comic books. Yeah. I don't. Well, it had also been like years since you enjoyed Iron Man comic books. Like right. you struggled through some of the Buick stuff, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But then yeah, the Quesada stuff got really rough, and yeah. then I ended up having the man in the Iron Mask. I, I had a bunch of online beef with Joe Quesada and Tom Brovert. And you, stuff. you literally beefed with him on. I literally sports. beefed with Joe Quesada, <laughs> um, and I even had some shots taken at me in some of those issues that I need to find and bring up one day. Um, it's a whole thing, anyway. So then I kind of got out of comics for a long time, right? And then the movies, although you know we, we've been podcasting for damn near a decade now at this yeah, point, yeah, nine right? plus years now. So I, I we, we 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 cover like Iron Man's origin. We've covered some spot filling issues. Mister Fix It and I did a couple uh, Hulk Iron Man we, when we crossover did this issues podcasts at some points on a bi-weekly basis, uh, but mostly monthly, and then for a while they're quarterly as as my interest waned in, in covering Marvel materials in general. Um, so we had more time for comic books when we had more episodes and less distractions with other projects, basically. And life. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I hadn't actually, like, I, now I sat down, I've been reading some of my uh, essential Iron Man, so I've gone back through all the Tales of Suspense stuff. Mm-hmm. We never recorded any of that, but I've been, I'd read it. Um, with, with COVID, I was like, you know, I went back through my Iron Man collection, I was trying to fill in gaps, where I had these tiny little gaps in my old uh, volume one Iron Man, because, you know, at some point I can't, I'm not going to collect every Iron Man issue mm-hmm. out there, but of the original run of Iron Man, um, I was filling in gaps in that, and then, you know, I, I, but I've always, every now and then, I'll be in a comic shop, and like whether we go out, we're looking for back issues and stuff, and I'll see something that's new in their new stuff, and it like will pique my interest. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk to somebody about, oh yeah, you know what's going on with Iron Man now? They'll be like, oh, he's adopted, and uh, oh, have you heard about Superior Iron Man? Yeah, Karen hey, Gillen had a nice run that people seem to like. You hear about Cosmic Iron Man? Yeah, he's got the power Cosmic now, and I'd just be like, you know what? I, I don't. I'll go back and read back issues. It, yeah. it seems like it's too much. It's too much. Or he died again. Or he died. He died again. Again. Yeah. You know, and it's just like I, I don't have time for this kind of shit. So uh, I'll go back and read my Lynn Kaminsky stuff. Uh, so anyway, the Christopher Cantwell's run um, always kind of popped up in my brain because of the Alex Ross covers. Right. And the fact that you got Alex Ross, you have Iron Man getting Alex Ross cover so every, good metal. every month. And these covers are amazing yeah. throughout the book. I don't want to get into that part yet. But so they were always there. They're like, man, you know, if I ever wanted to read something, I'm going to read this stuff. And then I had heard that like Hellcat was in the book and he and her had like a thing going. I'm like, oh shit, well, we read, you know, some Patsy and Hetty stuff yeah. and some Hellcat stuff for the, uh, for the podcast. So I would like actually kind of know some of the background for some of that. Um, you know, so it's always piqued my interest. And they started collecting this stuff in trades and then he finally wrapped up his run. So it was like done. And I'm like, oh, okay. So if I want to actually buy these trades, I could read the entire story. Uh, I wouldn't know what precedes it, but from what I understand, this was kind of a cold opening for these books anyway. You didn't really need to know too much about what was going on prior to that. You know, he's not like half cyborg. And you're like, well, how did he become half cyborg? It wasn't that shit. That's kind of what it meant by a re, not a reboot. It, uh, mm-hmm. So yes, it fresh does. start. It starts with number one, but it's very much a fresh start with number mm-hmm. one. Uh, so is it though? K- kind of. We'll get into well, it. Yeah, because I have questions. Yeah, so, and I may not be able to answer them for, for God's sake. So uh, I went ahead and I found some really good deals on eBay and used on Amazon for some of these trades for three of the trades. And then the fourth trade that collects issues, I think it's 20 to 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 20 to 25. I found it at half price books and we were out just, it was just randomly sitting yeah. there. I'm and, like, and oh, you shit. only come with a certain time. Yeah. Like me and Fix It are much more likely to hit one of those places. And it was You're just like once, there. once or twice a year and probably wasn't even one of the good ones. 
yeah. it was a really it was a really good price. And I'm like, well, this is the fourth book to the trades. I got these other three that have just been sitting there on one of my comic boxes. So I'm like, let me buy it. And then the other day, you know, my my boys were playing some video games. I didn't have anything to do, so I, I went and I picked them up. And I realized that you know, modern comic books take 45 seconds to right. read. So by the end of the night, I'd blown through two years of Iron Man comics. It had been maybe three hours, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that includes me kind of like rereading some of the stuff over again. Like, did I miss something here? And you kind of go back. You know, we space yeah. out, and you realize you got a couple pages. Right. Um, so next thing I know, I'd run the entire, I'd read the entire run. So uh, to go back to what you were talking about earlier, when I had bought these, the Amazon reviews are like five stars. Everybody's like, this run is amazing. It's one of the best Iron Man runs, da, 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 right? So I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's like a $10 trade. I think uh, you were telling me something like, return to the classic Iron yeah, Man, no, no. Re- re- return yeah, and, to and greatness. Does, and, and, you know, the, the Alex Ross uh, yeah. armor is is very much his classic armor, mm-hmm. kind of updated, it's right? It's tweaked it a little bit, but it's, yeah. But it's got the mouth slots back, mm-hmm. right? Instead of the, you know, the modular armor kind of one of the covers very subtly showed like an angle to it where there was some nose room a little bit about actually having an actual like Kirby nose and I was just so impressed that Alex Ross's ability to depict that so subtly Mm -hmm. and and not majorly we have to alter the armor to do that that's cool that was was a very impressive just artistic feat hold on let me pause here because I gotta find the name of the video I ended up finding on YouTube hold on one second Okay. okay so then while I was searching after I'd already bought two of these trades were already like coming to my house Right, I, I was doing another search to just kind of read some more reviews on it, and kind of figure out where people were at. And like when I searched it, I don't know how this didn't pop up, but there was a YouTube channel, and the title of this video was Two Year Iron Man Nightmare Over Cantwell Run Ends." Who published this? And this was a dude called Thinking Critical, and it's this guy's page. I think we talked about this, this guy's page is weird because he's got uh, yeah, he's got like thirty thousand subscribers. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not bad. He's got like seven thousand views on this video. So I mean, the dude is decent. Well, of course, and I think my question at the time was, is he some kind of comic skater or something? Thing is, he some anti woke? He may be. Ideologue. I, I have no idea. Um, and then uh, th- the next video I watched was, and I think it was a different dude, and he, he was as down on this as well. And then I kind of lo- started looking for more articles on it, and I was like, holy shit! Like maybe I got a little duped by those uh, those <laughs> Amazon, Amazon reviews. reviews. Yeah, people seem to fucking hate this run of comics. Except it only kind of made me just like want to read it more. Right. And, and especially when you read a lot of it, seemed to, some of it kind of was, oh, you mean this is basically a Hellcat book with iron. Man guest appearing in it, and I was like, mm, like, okay, well, there could there could be an ulterior motive there for not liking Hellcat in the book. I like Hellcat, so if she's in it, and they got some, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. Whereas I can see if you just joined it looking for Iron Man, and you're and you just walked out of Captain Marvel, and you're all you're all misogynist <laughs> up when your new issue Iron Man pops up, and you're pissed off. I'm like, yeah, okay, because I could set somebody off. So I uh, just question, uh, yeah. what is the only Prince LP you own so far? Since you've been buying vinyl? Oh well, no, I've got uh, I've got Controversy 19. Uh, well, okay, I didn't know if you'd bought anymore since then. Controversy yeah. is what I was looking for. Controversy. Yeah, I have 1999 Controversy and uh, um, Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Yeah. Um, I think I remember you getting Purple Rain out of that. That was the first one. Yeah. I, so, th- I thought Controversy was the first no, one. No, I could. I wanted to get Controversy. I couldn't find a good copy uh, okay. at a decent, decent price. Whereas, and then 1999s are everywhere. I found it. I think I got it for yeah. like $12. Yeah. Anyway, back to Iron Man. Uh, so anyway, I was more lathered up than ever to read this book because mm-hmm. it was like, man, people fucking hate this shit. And so it seems to me like either way I'm going to get a reaction. Either the reaction is going to be this is actually good and these Lamos don't like it or I'm going to read it and fucking hate the shit out of it yeah. too. This isn't the dark world. Yeah, I, there's going to be this isn't going to be a middle of the road deal. And then this dude's video, he keeps calling him uh can't write well. <laughs> Instead of can't well, it's can't write well. He keeps calling yeah, him over. Yeah. Dude is extremely pissed off. And all of his comments, all dude, unanimous, yes. unanimous. Fucking get this guy over. But I will also say in this guy's defense, he hated the Dan Slot run before it and whoever wrote it, Bendis wrote it before that. He was like the Bendis run is horrible, Dan Slot's runs horrible. This 
this is worse than those two. So it's not like he was like, oh, I really love the Dan Slot stuff. I sure hate this because there's a girl in it. This dude's pretty much like been down on Iron Man for a right. while, and he's obviously not which Iron you Man can relate too because you spent years hating Iron Man right. comics too. Yeah, and you can relate too because you've spent years hating characters. Runs Wonder Woman like would right. be the one I'd grab um, immediately. Martian Manhunter is also a very good ex- example of people, someone who I love who appears in a lot of comic books I don't love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I cracked into him, started reading him. You looked over him too. Do you want? Is there anything you want to talk about before we kind of get? I don't. I don't. I don't want to recap the well, whole uh, story. Wait, I, I think we should give an overview because I don't think mo- everybody, okay. especially given the sales of comic books these days, being like that's, the teens, you know, uh, thousands. Um, th- there are probably people who have no idea of what happens in this arc. My first question to you: Sure, cracked open the the first issue, Iron Man twenty twenty series, written by Christopher Cantwell, drawn by Kafu. Kafu, I was familiar with because they. I don't. I don't. I think Kafu's a him, but I, I don't want to say for sure because it's not exactly pro- precise name to help me with that. So I'm gonna go with uh, they them pronouns here. They drew a Vixen miniseries that I read. Okay. And it was okay. It was all right. It was nice enough art. It, it, certainly better art than I would necessarily expect from a Vixen book since they don't tend to put their greatest resources uh, in that direction. But also kind of stiff and kind of earthy, you know, kind of a, a bit of a pastel or earth tones, like a washed out earth you, tones kind of thing. You're talking Kafu right now? Yeah. And so not the person I would immediately think of as being somebody to do an Iron Man comic. But since most of that first issue seems to be people in plain clothes having conversations, it seemed like a pretty good fit at that point in time. But also while looking at that, I was thinking this is kind of a Mike Grell thing where maybe this isn't the person you want to draw an Iron Man comic book and maybe not the kind of situations you necessarily want from your Iron Man comic. But the thing that really got me is Iron Man, Tony Stark, I should say, seemed to be very downtrodden, seemed like somebody who has was carrying a, an overabundance of guilt and and some uh, self-defeating stuff going on there, some some self-flagellation seemingly happened, uh, looking a bit more disheveled, not having the cool, precise laser cut that uh-huh. Roddy, uh, of a Robert Downey Jr. And so was it, do you, did you ever get the backstory for where he was, why he was at that They place? allude to it a couple times. I think that it was, um, and well, and I, I also, I listened to some Cantwell interviews, which we can get into. Because I, I was looking Cant- for some. And by the way, looking at, I, I looked at this fellow a little bit myself, not the Nazi. This no. is not the Nazi. That is Nazi true. Cantwell. You, this is a writer guy. If you Google Chris Cantwell. And he's bald, you got the wrong one. If you Google Chris Cantwell, you get a full on fucking American Nazi. Okay. Yeah. And then there's the Marvel Comics writer or comic Asterisk book writer. writer. Yeah. D- uh, different guy, right? And don't click those links, folks. It's going to fuck your algorithm all up. <laughs> um, so, so I may have been from that where they talked about some of the backstory, but I guess some of the Iron Man 2020 stuff, it was all like very tech, these Uber armors, all sorts of crazy well, shit. Was that like still Dan Slott? Like the wrap Dan up Slott of Dan Slott's run? Maybe. Okay. But again, I didn't read that stuff. So I. Dan Slott's another guy too that people either really love or really have yeah. serious problems with. And I, so yeah. The, this book starts with. He, he also Tony's, gets a lot of beef on the Twitters. As a does he really? Yes. So he's. This book is about getting back to basics, quote unquote. It's kind of a cliche, but mm-hmm. I think they use it even on the, the back of this. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, Tony and, Stark and, is looking to restart his engine. He's going back to basics. They use multiple uh, cliches there. Well, and also I see there's an ad for the Doctor Doom solo series that ran for a little while. Can't well do. And, and there was a period there when Doctor Doom was Iron Man. And I don't know when that happened exactly. I yeah. know it was in quote unquote recent years, speaking as a person who's not very good at keeping track of time anymore. So was that Doctor Doom stuff? That was after like you had Superior Iron Man in the early days of our podcasting, like yeah. 2014 or so. And I've tried to find that stuff, but the trades, were, at least when I looked, the trades were extremely expensive. Which, and the individual which maybe issues, says something, too. The individual issues were were way out yeah. of, like, there's no way I'm finding this stuff. And then I believe after pressed. the Superior Iron Man period, then you had the Superior Doctor Doom, or Doctor Doom as Superior Iron Man, or something like that. And, and the Doctor Doom has uh, is an element in this run as well. So I just wasn't... Was, well, was Christopher 
Cantwell wrote that Doctor Doom series. Right. Okay. At, right before he may have been ending the his Doctor Doom series when he got Iron Man. Okay. So that also explains why Doctor Doom pops up because that okay. was like he was the last person to write Doctor Doom. Gotcha. Um. So yeah, the, this the whole premise of this book is whatever happened in the prior couple runs was like extremely big, extremely ridiculous, and Tony's looking to get back to uh back to his roots. Bust so, some bank robbers. So and stuff. so yeah. right right right. So he moves back to New York. He gets a brownstone apartment. He's he de- he downgrades his armor. He goes back to the classic style armor. It's a little hopped up, but not what he'd been using in the past. Yeah. And he's fighting guys like Unicorn. And he's flying like coach. He's trying to invest uh, in endeavors that are optimistic. He uh, takes all of his and, money and at a Stark. Public, that kind of thing. All of his Stark money he takes out. And yeah, he, he's he's. it's kind of like a little bit like the MCU Iron Man where he says we're not building bombs anymore. We're not. Yeah. It's kind of one of those deals without yeah. being exactly the same. So that's kind of where he's at. So yeah, he, he's got a lot. He's, so Tony got woke. You're right. There's there's yeah. there's a he's he's an insecure Tony Stark, um, but now he's also being faced with the realities of being a very you see something troubling on no, that. No, just look. The, the realities of being a formerly or always rich my whole life guy who is now trying to not be rich by moving to Brooklyn right. and trying to get in roots with the in in contact with the city, and he's finding out that like he's just been a rich boy his whole life and he doesn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And throughout the course of the first issue, he runs into Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat. Well, specifically, he's at a party that's being thrown by investors, and everybody's trying to talk him into investing in stuff. And for some reason, he detonates an EMP. Yeah. What, to, what was right to now? fry all their phones? Because she's all like, "I thought you were getting out of all this stuff. Why are you? Why are you having a big party with all these guys?" And he's like, "Because I set an EMP bomb to go off in about five minutes to kill all their phones." So he's just trolling the rich. He's though. like trolling rich people, even though he's a rich guy. Right. Right. Also, what's Patsy Walker doing at this party then? I can't remember exactly. It doesn't. I don't think they explain it. I, 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 I read not. through the issue and I don't think they explain what she's doing at the party and I'm more concerned about why she's there than why Tony's there. Yeah, I'm not sure it's ever really explained. Yeah. Maybe it is. It doesn't matter. I do uh, think it's cute though that she's wearing a dress that is uh, uh, definitely influenced by her superhero costume. To, oh, totally. Just to let people yeah, know yeah. Who, who this person is. Yeah. Um, oh, and so to go back to, Ka- to Kafu. Yes. Um, the, my, we, my pronunciation, I do not know if that's correct. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, you know, I think they say Kafu in, the, in, the, in the, the podcast I was listening okay. to. They might have said Kafu and I don't think anybody corrected anybody. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about art later. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about art. Sure. We'll talk about it. We already talked about Alex Ross. Not the only artist on this run anyway. Yeah, because Kafu can't do a monthly series, I'm guessing, for too long. Although, you know what? This is over two years. He, he a guy gets a lot a break. of issues in. A guy gets a break every now and then. Although, I think the whole last trade, he doesn't do anything in. So, yeah. uh, Although, I don't know how long his, his their run was supposed to be. So, right. Um, anyway. So, the, the that's the basic premise of where Tony's at as the story starts. And kind of throughout the entire run is this Tony's insecure. Kind of everything always goes wrong, even with Tony's best intentions. Um, whether it's Tony or Iron Man. It doesn't matter if he, let's say he, he saves the world. Well, okay, he saves the world, but all this other stuff gets fucked up. Right. And he's kind of focusing on, well, I, I even when I win, I lose, yeah. right? I, I fucked all this other stuff yeah. up. And that's kind of how it goes in this book. Everything he tries to do right, he kind of messes up. And Hellcat's there is somebody who is kind of the opposite. She's had like the worst life of any character right. in Marvel history, right? Yeah. Uh, between, you know, dying and being enslaved in hell and marrying the son of Satan and uh, having, you know... Well, they, they definitely make a point of underlying death by suicide. I right. killed myself. Yeah. Why did I kill myself? Oh, well, let me tell you about my mother. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you about my home life. You know, it's like all this horrible stuff. So she's, she's coming how she's dealt with all of these, like what I think she kind of sees as like we're real problems, whereas his problems aren't real problems. He's got rich boy problems. Yeah. So she's kind of there to kind of bring I, him I have to say, to in case I forget, very big Green Lantern, Green Ener- Arrow energy in this book. Like it, the whole, it's one of those things where back in the 70s, they put those two characters together because Danny 
O'Neill couldn't write cosmic stuff or didn't want to. He wanted to write social issue stuff. So they bring Green Arrow into the book and they turn him into an ultra mouthy liberal who's constantly criticizing everything that Green Lantern does and pointing out what that he's a fascist space cop and all this kind of stuff. And then they're they're hard traveling heroes, so they're traveling around the country to show Green Lantern that he's lost touch with his you know Earthling ways and and have him face real world problems and uh, constantly be a- antagonized by Green Arrow, this person who's supposed to be his buddy. Very similar energy in this book, it seems like. Like the premise forcing these two characters together that don't really have a lot to do with one another. Yeah, they've served on the same team on occasion, but not really. You like like she was an Avenger for five and yeah. a half minutes, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's very forced, but and the dynamic is very similar to that where t- Tony just can't get anything right, and and Hellcat's going to point that out to him for the whole run. Okay, so I'm I'm not a I'm not a Green Arrow Green Lantern guy, so yeah. that's uh, excellent context there, sir. Yes, that's kind of what it's like. She's there to kind of keep him in check. They go to like yoga together and stuff. You, there's like a little bit of relationship forming, which I think works pretty well because she she is giving him a hard time, but it's almost you know sometimes it's that's kind of a way of flirting too. Yeah, where you're kind of rudest and kind of you kind of dig at somebody but it's really because you have feelings for him the adult equivalent of tugging on the pigtails of the girl in front of you because you like exactly yeah 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 yeah. Um, and so that's how i looked at it so i i I could see how if you didn't look at it that way you would maybe get a little more offended like what the fuck is this book about right this book is they're just shitting on this guy and as as soon as he shits on himself she turns she comes she pops into a panel then shits on him some more it's like oh this this is how many we got a couple years of this right (laughs) um but you know the, the first especially the first five issue the first trade is really you know there's some cra- look no this is where I, I have to take some i gotta take a step back but pe- there were some choices made in this first issue that I don't, this first book i don't understand so part of what tony's doing is you know he buys a brownstone in new york and then he decides he wants to buy a muscle car so as he's fighting he's fighting terax in the opening pages and he's talking in, in his head about different cars he may want it's 71 duster would be fucking badass mm-hmm. you definitely want to get 71 duster and then he settles on a 78 like uh Va- or ask dodge aspen this is not a muscle car mm-hmm. I, I don't know why like i think even in the room he's in hold on hold on hold on I'm flipping, I'm flipping. Give me one second. 1978 Dodge Aspen. He's like stock. Back to the basics, right? So he's driving around New York in a Dodge Aspen. So, but I, what I don't understand is a Dodge Aspen's a piece of shit. Like, I, I, like I just, like, I don't wait, understand you're, you're, the car choice. You're a car guy, right? And obviously there are times when you're like, oh, these dumbasses, they're buying these shitty cars because they're too stupid to know they're shitty car. But they still buy those cars. I think Wildcat's one of the ones that you point to is like a, not a great choice for a car. A Wildcat? Is that the, that the one? What's it called? Hellcat? A Hellcat. I okay. Had, I had a Hellcat. Okay. So what, what is the cars like you think are shitty cars that other people like and buy? I don't know. Okay. Well, point is, is this a situation where I, you are just saying your opinion or no, is this 19, the, so, the, the broad opinion of anybody who no, knows cars? No, b- because, no. It, the, it looks like a very, it's such a peculiar choice. Mm-hmm. A 1978 Dodge Aspen, it is a bizarre car. If I showed a picture of a 1978 Dodge Aspen to 100 people, zero people would say that's a 1978 Dodge Aspen. It's not. I'm not sure if I've ever heard of that car. You may not have. You may not have. But it's such a specific choice. Like, I think Cantwell left X, but I literally opened up my phone to try and find him on Twitter to see if I could ask him, like, bro, I don't give a shit about any of this run. Why did you pick a 1978 Dodge Aspen? Like, I just don't... The, the Muscle Car era died in 1970, okay? Mm-hmm. You had a couple cars in 1971, 1972 that were still fast. By 1978, the oil crisis was in full swing. Cars... They, they were putting out V8s with, like, 100 horsepower. Like, there is nothing attractive coming out, and there's nothing fast coming out in 1978 for you to be having a 
middle you don't go through a midlife crisis and get a 1978 Dodge Aspen. You, you don't. In 1978, you're driving a Dodge Aspen because you were poor. You think maybe it was like him trying to do the whole common man thing and like leaning into that? But but see, like, but it's like black. Or, or is it like that it's he's, black. he's been so rich for so long that anything that's not a Bentley, he can't tell the difference? No, because you know? before that, he's driving a, a um like a, like a like an AC Cobra or yeah. a Ford Cobra and he sure. like kind of almost wrecks it. But I have heard of those cars and I'm aware that they yeah. are desirable. Well, they made a movie with Sylvester Stallone called Cobra <laughs> where he drove one. Um, But it's just like, he, he's like, oh, you know, I just want something simple. There's nothing more simple than a fucking do- Ford Cobra. Like it's, it's a metal shell with an engine in it. Like there's like, there's nothing. So then he gets this Dodge Aspen, it, but it's like black with like racing stripes down the side of it. So then I'm like, does Cantwell think that like a Dodge Aspen is like, did he like try and Google 70s cars and just like found it and thought it looked cool and told him he got a 70 Dodge Aspen? Or is he trolling Tony? Like does Tony not, Tony's so dumb. So out of it. Does, know how, yeah. He just saw this car and was like, ooh, that's what I want. But is it's if anybody who actually knows cars reads this, they know that he picked like one of the lamest fucking car. He probably picked the lamest car at this dealership, which by the way, I don't know why a 1978 Dodge Aston would be at any dealership. Right. Because it, it's got zero collectible value. So why is it at this dealership? I like, this was the second or third page of the book. Right. And it haunted me. I have to say that this is not the only time stuff like that's going to come up in my skim of the book. Okay. So, but that also leads me to my next point. He gets into underground street racing. In the neon, or what is it called? A 1978. Aspen. Dodge Aspen. Aspen, okay. Yeah. Uh, neon sounds better. That sounds like a car you could compete with. If you got a Aspen, neon, I would get it. It's like urban yeah. camouflage. Right. Nobody would know Tony Stark driving in. <laughs> driving a completely mint 1978 Dodge Aspen is so peculiar. Right. You might as well be in a Lambo. Right. Like, I would be freaking out. Like, how did you get a completely restored 78 Dodge You'd Aspen? You'd be craning your neck just because you've never seen that car on the road before. I, I, I take. I have seen. I saw one at a car show, and it was absurdly restored. Mm-hmm. Driven by the weirdest dude. <laughs> the only type of guy. He definitely busted his cherry in one of those. That would brag about his 1978 Dodge Aspen right. with gold interior. Like, it was ridiculous. So anyway, that's where I was like, okay, well, maybe he's he doesn't want I'm something. just trying to figure out if my, bo- my father bought a he, Dodge Aspen. He might have. He yeah. might have. Uh, so, but so, so that's, at first I was like, that's a weird, specific choice, a Dodge yeah. Aspen. Folks, we're going to talk about this car a lot. <laughs> um, but then I was, so then I was like, okay, is Cantwell trolling Tony? Right. Like, Tony's so dumb. He's such a rich guy. He doesn't even understand. He just bought a piece of stupid he might have bought like, a like he got screwed yeah. by this guy. Yeah. This guy was like, oh, slapping the hood. This baby right here has got 150 horsepower. Pure. You want simple. This is it, right? So then I was like, or is he just trying to get so back to basics? He wanted literally like urban, like I said, urban camouflage, what a neon would be. Yeah. He's buying a Dodge Aspen it, because it's lame, yeah. right? It can tell the next page when he goes street racing in it. And then I'm like, something is not. Right. Nobody in 78 street raced a Dodge Aspen. Yeah. Like that's not what they do. You, were, you, were there, you would go buy a Dodge Charger out of a junkyard and race it. Like why the fuck are you race? It's just very bizarre to me. He should have been driving a Chevelle or a Mustang or a Charger or something. It's just, I, I couldn't get over it. So then of course he goes to this, he goes to an underground street race with five grand and wants to race to do five grand. Gets smoked right. by this dude in an El Camino. Gets just as you do in an Aspen. As you do in a Dodge Aspen. I mean, you 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 are living the vintage lifestyle, showing up like a dork in a Dodge Aspen and getting sm- doors blown off of you by a, an El Camino. Um. Anyway, the, and the dude looks like Toretto from the Fast and Furious movies. Turns out he's deaf. He comes back later on. We he. Oh, he, is that that guy? Okay, that's that guy. Okay, that's that guy. Um, I was trying to figure out. I thought that he was maybe some obscure character they plucked out from a ex title or something. No. 
he's do he's do some deaf then. Dom Toretto. Yeah. Uh, so he smokes some of this stuff. So then I'm just like, why would he go to a street? Like, does somebody who puts street racing? How would he know where to even go? He Googled that too, I guess. D- does somebody who street races in a comic book, like the writer, does he put street racing in the comic book because he knows, like, he likes cars and wants to race? Because picking the Dodge Aspen tells me you don't. Yeah. But picking the Dodge Aspen tells me you do <laughs> because it's so obscure. So I'm doing the. Uh, um, Princess Bride, where I'm at the table, where I'm like, you switched, you put the poison in my drink because you think that I'm going to pick your drink. But then you would, so I was doing this this whole fucking first trade. (laughs) I couldn't get over this Dodge Aspen. And why the fuck did Tony pick a Dodge Aspen? Why did he street race a Dodge Aspen? Right. Like he's still Tony Stark. He could pick up his cell phone and just fucking Google this shit. Like I don't understand it. It Drives me insane. The Melter breaks his car. Yeah. Melts it. It's gone. The Dodge Aspen does not make it more than a couple issues in this book. So it doesn't really matter. Except it's driving me fucking insane. Um, so throughout the two-year run, you never get a resolution of the Dodge Aspen. No, I never figure out why the fuck he picked Dodge Aspen, and I, I it kind of. Although by the time I'm done reading the two years worth of books, I kind of start to lean to one of the okay. things I've mentioned. So that's where Tony's at. He's buying Dodge Aspens. He's losing street races. He's having a general shitty time. Um, at that party, there's sort of a uh, Iron Man three moment. He's bumped into by a guy who has this new technology. He can harness lightning. He can harness lightning, or for- or he thinks he can harness lightning with the seed money that he's going to get from right. Tony Stark. So Tony ends up calling him giving him the seed money because he's like, you know, that's like true renewable energy. He still gets just... his, his phone destroyed by the EMP though. Probably. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like an Iron Man 3 moment. Uh, did I say, I said Iron Man 3. Did you? Okay. Because that was, that was how uh, right. uh, um, Guy Pierce's Gilliam, character. Yeah, yeah. Showed, whatever was, what was his name? Killian. Yeah, Killian. Killian something. Killian. Yeah. It we don't matter. care. It's Iron Man 3. Nobody cares. So uh, anyway, you kind of go on. He, he kind of, so that's where you mentioned a little bit earlier. He was doing stuff like, like flying coach, right? Yeah. And he gets in the plane and of course he's bitching about flying coach and he's well no because he tries to like lean his seat back and she's and like no you can't do that Patsy, Patsy's like you can't do that because the, the flight hasn't taken off you have to wait for the you know the ding and he's all like I've never heard of that rule before and she's like that's because you've never flown on something that wasn't a private plane right and they're, he's all like, not gonna wah. bring you a wine flute right wah, yeah. wah. and I, that's when you're that's where I'm like ooh yeah like if I was reading this book yeah. and I've well, suffered what gets through me is at the end of that conversation she then proceeds to recline which a I don't think that they've taken off by that point B she's also reclining in daylight hours it's like so she's the bitch in the situation trust me i've spent too much time on planes with motherfuckers who want to recline immediately you're the asshole in case you didn't know you're the asshole so th- here's the and trust com- me there are times i want to recline and in fact i make a we try to get seats where we can recline because there's nobody behind us when we whenever we can but if i can't i almost never recline because i'm not a dick so so here's here's their conversation on the airplane well i'm not a dick in those circumstances like is this really all the leg room this is tony is this really all the leg room there is back here and uh patsy says yeah they also don't bring around Champ- uh, flutes of champagne after takeoff. Tony, I can't believe that I had to pay 50 bucks to check a bag. It's Coach Tony. And what were we? Boarding group 165? You seem ill at ease. And he's like, nothing coffee and powdered creamer won't fix. Um, Why would $50 matter to Tony Stark? <laughs> it's like it. pocket change. So then... I don't bitch because I have to pay 50 cents to get into a bathroom stall in some places, you know? So then, the only problem is if I have coins on So me. then they have a zoom in of him hitting the recline button. He's like, you can't recline until the captain says. I've never heard that rule. She says, because you don't own this jet. Why are you even flying all the way back here anyway and he's like I feel like I don't understand something I don't have I don't know actual life and coach will solve it uh, ease off will ya so it's like th- these are the conversations he and Patsy are having for basically two the entire years. run the, yeah the entire yeah. two yeah. years there's another scene right where he's flying I'm just I'm not I'm just I picked some scenes out of the first trade to kind of set 
the vibe of the right. whole trade where he flies to a school in New York, okay? And I don't know if you, you probably skimmed right past this page, but he, he flies down while they're at recess. He's like, hey, kids, and they're like, it's Iron Man, and they're running up, and they're talking about how shiny he is, and then two of the teachers who are working recess come out, and they're like, um, okay, everybody, that's the recess bell. Oh, man. They're like, but Iron Man's here, and he's like, five more, Iron Man goes, can you give me five more minutes? And they're like, it's going to take them the rest of the day to calm down, uh, and I apologize, but all visitors are really supposed to sign in at the front desk, and he's like, I just thought it would be fun. They're like, for them or for you? <laughs> he's like, excuse me? Our days are carefully built around structured fun centered on learning, and he's like, okay, I get it. You two, you two seem like real fun. Uh, here I was just in the neighborhood, that's all. We'd love to have you back for a specific activity, but drop-ins like this can be very disruptive, and then he flies off. That's the scene. Yeah. Okay, so then, and anyway, the, the next scene is literally he shows up at his uh, his garage, and somebody spray-painted Eat the Rich on his garage, and he yeah, opens that it up. Yeah, that's all, I remember yeah. that. And yeah. the melter has melted his Dodge Aspen, and he just says, the melter, seriously, what are you, we're doing this now? And he says, I melted your car, and he says, I can see that. Then he says, are you mad? And then he just punches him in the face, and just like, <laughs> his whole fed face like explodes in blood. <laughs> that's what precedes them getting on that coach flight to fly mm -hmm. back. So like, they're really like... Well, and at one point she does say, you nearly killed a guy for melting your car. Uh, Was that for keeping the car, or was that cardiac? Yeah, that was melter. Yeah, so he beats him up, flies really high up, mm -hmm. folks. Really high up, and then just lets him go. And for a second, you can still see he's like contemplating to just letting him fall to his death, and then he swoops in and saves him at the last second. Mm -hmm. And that's when he gets on. It's just like, so Tony's in a bad place. Yeah. Right? Like, if you couldn't tell, he almost killed the guy. So that's right before their conversation on the plane. Uh, so they're flying out to check out. It would have been worth him melting the car if I'd have caught him. If I'd have caught him doing it. So um, they're flying to the pilot project for this lightning project that he, mm -hmm. he seeded this guy, he angel invested this guy, he built this field. Shows up, gets hit by lightning. Turns out this dude is actually Korvac. We all know Korvac, ladies and gentlemen. He's killed the Avengers back You in might the actually 70s. want to, there's a good chance they don't know Korvac, even though it is, from my understanding, I don't think I've ever read it. I just know about it. I've, I've read like Avengers Saga or some stuff where they talk yeah. about stuff like that. You've talked to me about it many a times over the years. Roger Stern, Jim, George Perez. Jim Shooter wrote some of that too, though, didn't he? Jim Shooter too. Yeah. It's really famous. Korvac Saga. He became the most powerful. So he was a dude. He, he got tortured by some aliens. They chopped him up they basically put him on a big floating floating platform cut his like part of his face he might have had a fake yeah eye, it was fake weird arm. because his upper body is human but then he's got this square thing yeah. this, and then there's this like jet thing underneath and he just sort of floats around like a reverse chess piece or something yeah so it's like he's riding up upside down pawn extremely powerful and then god god class you know because he he uh he steals the power of galactus mm -hmm. and gets this ridiculous amount of power kills the avengers Yada yada yada. It's a whole bunch of stuff. Folks, go read the Korvac saga. It's some of the more legendary Avengers reading over the last. When they're a thing years. too, I think Mark Wade had like Captain America fight Korvac, and everybody was like, Nah, dog, nah. Uh, was that Korvac? Or was it Kazar? Kazar was Thanos. I know Kazar, Kazar was Thanos. Was Thanos. Everybody was like, Mr. Mark Wade, you don't know no, your Marvel character After Korvac well. died, he never came back from the seventies. From after the Korvac. Oh saga. no, he definitely did. And he, I want to say he fought Captain America during the Mark Wade Kubert run. Korvac? Yeah. Google it on your phone. Nah, I don't, know. don't worry I don't about know. it. It's not that big of a deal. I just, I just, I, my understanding is that they, they, there was a situation where this was a very well-regarded Avengers arc, and that character was left alone for a long. He time. He was left alone for a long time, and then somebody brought him back in a way that people were like, "You brought him back for this, really?" 
Uh, now you mentioned that kind of sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. But anyway, he'd been done for a long time. Even if they brought him back in the Mark Waite stuff, that's still 20 plus years when he was probably gone, right? You're right. So anyway, although they don't talk about any of that shit. But maybe for no, no, they showed the origin. I remember them no, showing them about chopping the origin, him up and stuff. But yeah. they don't show anything in between that. Anyway. Oh, yeah. no, Definitely no 90s revival of him stuff. Not so there, there was a book um, by... Let's see. Hold on. Should have brought my notes up here. Although I didn't take notes on the actual comics. So Al Ewing did, a, did like a one-shot or like a one-page story. And I think it was called Marvel Comics 1 thousand or something like that there was some okay yeah there was that one shot okay. that came out yeah they did a story where Korvac was discovered by some alien race and they turn him into this android and that's what comes off here so it turns out that this guy who had asked Tony for um, seed money for the seed money was was Korvac in this android body that was set up in this issue by Al Ewing right and also he has electrical powers now right but he he, he needs to he needs to power up in steps mm-hmm. right so the first step was to get the money from Tony to build this electrical farm to well, and one thing we haven't really touched upon because you did briefly mention cardiac and of course you mentioned the melter there's a bunch of silver bronze age characters that will be familiar Contr- from controller Ohio. blizzard uh unicorn cardiac melter and of course cardiac was a, a, a vigilante character an anti-hero in the spider-man comic books so him being like doing stuff well there i know there's a little subplot where because he's a medical vigilante there were people who were like oh the the, the capitalist superhero has the beat up on the guy who's trying to stop you know corporate uh medicine that you know uh with income inequality that prevents people from getting health care and yada 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 but most the, the big problem is all these guys are talking like crazed evangelists they've all become religious zealots in worshiping a, a, a new godlike being who turns out to be michael korvac well okay well, so Car- it all you know actually together. i don't know if cardiac was tied into korvac that oh, was he separate no i think he was separate it does get a little blurry because okay. some of these guys you can I, I literally didn't read read it i just yeah, skimmed yeah, it. I, yeah. I think Cardiac was, Cardiac was going off that he captured all those stark scientists. He said scientists wanted to develop high-cost cures and let them feel the effects of uh, untreated disease at the moment of death. Like, it, that's all he does is rant in these panels about uh, how Tony Stark has bumped up the cost of healthcare. If you haven't caught on to maybe Chris Cantwell's politics, <laughs> you can start. But but th- again, this is, I think this is issue two. So, like, all the other stuff I've talked about, we're kind of dragging Tony down. On top of that, Cardiac is showing up trying to kill a bunch of Tony scientists because Tony Stark is also the reason why the healthcare industry is full of shit and is overpriced and people are gonna, like uh, a message has to be sent your employees have to die our healthcare system is a crime like that's literally that was cardiac's line from the book right, right. so he's gonna kill a bunch of these scientists so yeah shows up at the electrical farm gets ambushed by the controller I, I think it, it bears mentioning too Wait, go for it it isn't that Iron Man gets ambushed it's Iron Man and Hellcat because from the first issue on she becomes his de facto sidekick yeah and it's one thing when you've got like Daredevil and Black Widow team up for a bunch of adventures together but again very much like green lantern green arrow here's a huge power imbalance here you know it's like he's flying with his jet boots and she's like hanging on she's in to a jeep him. she's in a jeep wrangler right in this scene she's driving a jeep wrangler yeah she she saves him by running down some people in her her jeep in a yeah jeep, yeah, uh, yeah anyway so he gets ambushed that's where it turns out the dude's corvac okay like it, it, you know well they do that thing too where she gets zapped and she has those scars on her half her face for like the entire fucking run yeah but then that goes away almost immediately they afterwards. go away like, what, what, what was that about did they ever like explain why they felt the need to have her be scarred for a long period of time no i didn't get it is this it seemed... some sort of meta text where like she's scarred on the inside so we're showing her on the outside <sighs> i don't know yeah. because they kind of forget about it yeah it, it, it's a thing for the rest of this issue because she's like even crabbier the, rest of the trade i think at least she's it's it's number of issues yeah I, for I this first, for it to go well, away i mean this is like the last issue wish of this trade because yeah. um, i should i should point out that i because of my interest in the hellcat character i bought the iron man hellcat annual 
that preceded a Hellcat solo miniseries in which she does not have facial scars. So I know that they're going to go away the entire time I'm going through these issues and I'm wondering why they're there and when they'll be gone. Yeah, it's like, uh, it, it's fractal burn from the electricity. But when she gets hit, she also gets like this psychic link to Korvac. So all of these guys, like you mentioned earlier, they're all worshiping him like he's God now. So Unicorn is spouting all this stuff like, he is risen and he is no, he's like a maniac and they're all completely brainwashed by dude. And a part of it is I think because he's in their heads. Mm -hmm. And when she got zapped by his lightning powers, now he's kind of in her head and she can like hear him whispering to her and stuff like that. Well, and was this before after they mentioned that she herself has some schizophrenic issues where she's already hearing whispers in her she, head she and talks, now there's additional whispers? She yeah. talks about why it's a, such a big deal that she's hearing voices again. Right. It's because she had, she went through this once. But they also had the weird thing where they like, I think they literally say that she had schizophrenia, but it like goes away and I don't think that's how schizophrenia works. It may not be, but... Maybe you could take pills for that or something, mm. but I don't think it just goes away or comes and goes. I don't know. She's still... Like you can she's, develop it. She still has some issues in these comics. Oh, so yeah. You yeah. can definitely say it did not go away. Okay. Um, but anyway, I'm just saying, her now getting this link to Korvac, but still mm -hmm. being with Tony ends up being a thing because right. then he's kind of always knows where Tony is. He's even like talks to Tony through her a couple times and it also causes her to start kind of falling apart. Yeah. Well, and at one going, point she juices up with lightning and attacks or something too, as I recall. She, I think she shocks herself to knock herself out okay. because he's like trying to talk through her and stuff. Tony needs to build a team because they they because of her link with Korvac, she now knows what he's going to do too, and he's going to go take Galactus' yeah. cause. Well, power over cosmos. the arc, she she starts turning it against Korvac and being able yeah. to, to spy on him through this link that the, has been created. Yeah, so she knows they're going to Tatu, which is Galactus' ship. He's going to sneak in, steal the power cosmic, kill everybody again. He's not a good dude. Um, well, I think the original plan was he's going to merge everybody into one solid like force, and like they were going to be crystalline like beings that wanted. Yeah around and eat other crystalline objects but we're, they're all going to be one passive existence without any independent thought or anything perfect to read like no violence yeah. no no yeah everything's going to just be perfect and just originally crystal goats eating crystal grass on a crystal field yeah, yeah like that so they're all going to drink the kool-aid and go in the spaceship and fly off and everything's going to be great um so anyway so now that she can see he's going to tattoo by the way as somebody who read the original 70s run sure. is that consistent with the corvac character you know i that was something that when I was reading this I was trying to think again like what was his what was his original motivation I thought his original motivation was he just wanted to have a regular ass life uh, on earth but I could be wrong that you remember the big parts like when he kills all the Avengers or, or, or because like, of a ridiculous uh, uh, battle budget cuts and uh, uh, created by Henry Peter Gyrick they have to like take a bus to the suburban house to confront him something correctly. like that yeah. happens right yeah, yeah. Uh, but when he kills them all and Perez draws it and their fucking bodies are strewn everywhere it's just oh, it's awesome um, but yeah but you know sometimes you lose that nugget of what was his whole motivation yeah. to begin with? I, you know, you that, that was really cool what he did. But why did he do that? Why again? was he doing that? Anyway, Tony knows. That's he, what I love about Thanos. You're never going to forget the man yeah. fell in love with literal with death. death and just wanted to kill as many people as possible to please his lover. So, That's a great motivation. Too um, bad they didn't have that in the movies. So the, it, to, in the first trade, they, they realize if he's going to Tatu, he and his cronies are going to have to get on a spaceship and fly out to Galactus' ship, right? So the plan is we got to find. There's also this whole thing where Hellcat keeps going, why don't you just tell the Avengers? Why don't you just tell the Avengers? And he's like, I don't want to get the Avengers involved. You know, we got to keep, we don't want people to get hurt. I need to deal with this, blah, blah, blah. But then she's keeps talking about how, no, you're just trying to fix all this by yourself. You created this problem because he is money. Well, at what, some point he captures 
roadie and just and, chill out. Just okay. chill out. Sorry. Just chill out, sir. The whole point was that she's saying the reason you don't want to tell the Avengers is because you're going to have to tell them you're the one that gave him the money to build the electrical farm that gave him the initial powers to begin with. And this is really kind of all your fault, just like everything else is your fault. So instead of going and get your buddies to fix this, you're going to try and fix it on your own, right? Like more kind of shitting on him. So he decides he needs to put together like a low key team. Um, not a low key team. Not a, a low key low, team. Low key, key low team. key team. So he gets Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley. He gets the Gargoyle. He gets Frogman, Misty Knight. And then he goes back to the Deaf Street Racer guy who turns out to have a mutant power. His, his pulse never goes above 70 if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's able to like keep it cool or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But um, also he went to the guy to help him put together the team and then he decides, oh wait, no, I want you on the team after he gets attacked. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he's got this band of like misfits, right? They. Uh, I, I do have to point out the parallel though because you've got sure. Michael Korvac and a whole bunch of guys that just barely missed the scourge of the underworld back in the 80s. And then here's Tony with the, the misfit band of low, you know, although there's several people like Gargoyle was from the Defenders so it makes sense that Patsy would know him because they were teammates for a while there. Um, I want to say, did Pelcat have anything to do with the, the Latter-day Defenders that Misty Knight was a part of where she like refilled the Heroes for Hire and then I think they became I Defenders? Don't yeah. No. I don't know. I don't know. But that's like, not... Frogman seems to be a reach though. The OG Defenders stuff she was in gets referenced in this book. They don't reference what I believe is any newer yeah. uh, Defender stuff. Anyway, the plan is she's gonna uh, Iron Man's gonna tango with Korvac and distract while this team they end up giving it some like I can't, I can't remember what they dubbed this team. It's like a silly name. It's supposed to be funny. The Revengers. Yeah, like we're the Revengers. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, or Space Friends or something like that. It's something okay. ridiculous. Uh, they're gonna go destroy the dude's ship. Well, it turns out it's a booby trap. They get in the ship. Korvac gets a detonator and blows the ship up with all these people in it. Tony thinks they're all fucking dead. And for a second, I thought because they picked all these weird obscure characters, mm -hmm. they were actually all fucking dead. Uh, spoiler alert, they weren't fucking dead. Gargoyle saved them all. But it's a pretty kick-ass hangover. When, or, uh, 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 cliffhanger. That's cliffhanger because that ends the first trade where I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, he just blew up the whole fucking thing. And how many issues did that first trade collect? I think this is just one, two, five. Okay. Yeah, see, one thing that's happened, how much did that cost at retail? This was retail, 16 bucks. Yeah. See, that's one thing that's happened in recent years is obviously the, the price of the floppies has gone up and up. Standard cost for a floppy these days is about $4, but there are floppies that are in the $5 range now. Um, I don't know what differentiates them. I think that they have backup features or they have lower circulation, so you have to pay an extra dollar for a premium. So, of course, that also means that the trade paperbacks have gone up in price or would go up in price, but they've done some shrinkflation. So, beginning in the 2000s, pretty much every trade collected six issues. So, every story arc ran about six issues. But since they've been shrinking the trade sizes, now the arcs tend to run between four and five issues because that's how long the trades run for. You get fewer pages for about the same amount of money. So, you're paying like $17 for five issues where you used to pay that for six issues as a four instance. And that was a few years ago. This was, I assume these trades are pre COVID or, or COVID. No, no, it'd have to be within COVID because it's 2020. So, these are COVID era trades, but probably over the, the time period as you had things like paper shortages and printing shortages uh maybe the prices go up do you what, what are the prices going forward next trade 17.99 so right. it's already up trade after that 29.99 but it is more no yeah it's seven issues so this is 12 to 19 yeah but it's 30 dollars now for yeah. seven issues where a six issue trade used to be about 16 bucks and then the final trade is 20 bucks for five issues 20 to 25 yeah. they're they're good they're nice quality though like yeah this is, this is well you get glossy nice stock. stock and everything you know yeah. um it's hard to find things that aren't glossy stock these days you know <laughs> They, they, it's like the default now. If anybody's going to bother to print something, they're probably going to print it on good paper because it's not enough of a price difference anymore to get uh, 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 untreated pages, for instance. So the next two trades, we don't need to go into too much detail in the next two trades. It's the journey to Tatu. Yeah, that's right. 
I said basically two trades to get to uh, to Galactus's ship. Uh, in the course of flying to the to the the ship, Tony and uh, Hellcat and Korvac are like talking on some astral plane. They're all linked in now, and Tony just vanishes. He vanishes out of the ship. He's completely gone. He gets zapped to some strange, bizarre world. It's kind of like Sakar. It's like a bunch of misfit characters are there. Uh, Stiltman is the one who's like the leader of this thing. There's a bunch of Ultimos. If you're an Iron Man fan, you know who Ultimo is. He's yeah. a giant doomsday machine. Apparently, this is a planet where all the Ultimos are from. Well, at first, they accused him as being a coward and running off. How did he end up there, though? How did he get there yeah. to begin with? I mean, I saw that he blips out and he's gone. He tried to activate his boot jets, I think I understand. And you're saying, how blipped. did Tony get there? Yeah, how did Tony end up on this place? Stiltman was actually bringing people to the planet. Oh, specifically targeted friends. him in that yes. particular point in he time. He targeted okay. Tony because, uh, you know, he gives in an official reason why he actually wanted Tony there. Yeah. It's not important. He's one of the geniuses of the Marvel yeah. Universe. That's why you want Tony there. I get that. Yeah, I guess kind of. But it turns out that the whole thing where these uh, Ultimos would show up and they would scare them off and some people from the village would die and then more people would show up. Um, but everybody works together. Stiltman built this society himself and found out that the threat of the Ultimos kill and it would kill some of these people and then he would bring he Stiltman was when bringing people to that planet that that like circle of fear kept everybody in control and everybody was a tight group and they all had a, there was that that aura of survival mm-hmm. when it turned out at any point in time or that all the Ultimos were actually being controlled by Stiltman okay he was the one controlling the Ultimos so basically he was keeping this whole mechanization so so we have an entire Shyamalan B plot is that what I'm hearing yeah they went village on this ship yes and then, and trades. yes and then he just blips out of it back to Korvac's ship yeah because I, I I have to point out here or to, I, to their ship chasing Korvac the reason why I was talking about the, the changes in how trades are set up is because I'm waiting for when the fifth issue comes by and it says continued it's like okay well we're gonna go to a six issue arc with this right the sixth issue comes and it's continued like fuck okay I know some trades will go eight issues so I guess this is gonna continue to the eight issue before they finish up the arc then I get to issue eight and it's still going and I'm just like why is this still happening why are they still in space why isn't this resolved why has this all been these shitty old bronze age villains and Korvac on and on and on and on and then like you say then he blips out and he's off doing this stuff with the Ultimos and Stiltman I'm like when is this gonna end I'm like fuck I guess it's gonna be 12 issues I get to issue 12 and it still continues and ultimately the arc runs 15 issues fuck Uh, I I was talking earlier about how when I ran my comic shop we would you know uh, after the shop would close we would get together we'd play like overpower or or, or role playing and stuff I think in this instance we were rating the role play I think part of the problem was because I was the dungeon master the game master whatever you want to call it everybody was waiting on me to finish but I had a customer that night there was a manga guy and he just wanted to go on and on and on about the uh, fanfic manga stories that he was reading and stuff and obviously I have no interest but this is one of those instances where I'm the bartender and I'm just listening to the guy tell a story so that he can buy a bunch of manga stuff and go home right and then your brother lacking a filter sometimes uh, this is like you know the, the shop closed at like six I guess or seven and so it's at least a half hour or more past closing time and everybody's waiting on me to get done so I can do the DMing and your brother just goes shut up in a way that's like there's no way that this person could not know that he's being talked to <laughs> he, he goes for maybe another five minutes I cash him out I'm like please don't do that I need to make money at this comic shop but also I was so sick of this conversation I've joked about how over the years since that went from a cringe moment where it's like I really don't need you to tell my customers to shut up and go home even though I kind of appreciate it 
now and when I'm in those kind of circumstances, that voice just goes into my head. It's like, you know, and, and I was doing that during this run. It's like, stop, stop doing this. Tell another story. Like it started to become the thing that I hate about modern comics. It's like Stanley's the one who decided, okay, we're not going to have two or three complete stories in a single comic book. We're going to actually have, not only is it going to fill, and once we're going to fill an entire comic book, but I can actually make this thing go two, three, and four issues. But when it gets to the point where it's 15 issue arc, that decompressed storytelling is, it, is so far out of control. I, it was maddening to me. And I don't think that's common. I don't think this is like, this is what's wrong with the industry. You don't have 15 issue arcs typically. You might have an overarching story that encompasses multiple stories within that time period that all like terminate at a point where it's all gathering together, which is just good storytelling. But not when you're telling pretty much the same story continuously for 15 issues where it's Iron Man in space with those ragtag buddies and shit and, and his new partner and lover Hellcat. Do you find it funny that they make a point of having them have sex one time, one issue, one right time. At, right after her face got fucked up too. Which right, which was nice. That's affirming. Yeah. That was affirming. Good, good on you, Tony. But also, they don't ever fuck again, right? I, not, the, no. not explicitly. No, 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 yeah. no, no. So, yeah. So, okay. So that second trade is them traveling to Korvac or to traveling to Tatu. Well, you said that it ends with the explosion, right? Or no, the first trade ends with the explosion, the, the booby trap. Yes. So the second, second trade tra ends... The second trade, they are tra traveling. So they didn't die. The The ship that blew up was a dummy ship. So Korvac and his gang of uh, apostles jump in the real ship and they go to Tatu. Iron Man gets his dudes that did not die, but we thought they did. Gets them in one of his ships and they follow in pursuit, right? So they're flying after him. It's, now it's uh, the you know the folks I said plus Rhodey. Well, and again, you, you stopped me from talking, but at some point, Korvac captures Rhodey. Yeah. And the rationale is that he'll kill Rhodey if I get any of my high profile friends. That's why I've gotten the loser brigade. But then we, and again, that's kind of fun for like a force you arc or something. But these guys are with him. They're his teammates, essentially, for 15 issues. Well, not 15 issues because the, the group forms, what, like three issues in or so? Yeah. Because yeah, the five issue trade. Four, issue four. Maybe. Yeah. So what kills me is like you've already got a run that's about humiliating Iron Man or, or giving him humility, depending on which direction you want to look at it from. And having Iron Man hang out with guys like Frogman, sometimes that's a, that's a, that lifts up the other characters. Like, oh, this is a character. Like if Iron Man's hanging out with, with Hellcat, then all of a sudden she's a little bit more of a high profile character and maybe she gets a little more respect because she's suddenly the lady of Tony Stark and shit. But then once you bring in all these other losers and they're they're hanging out with him for an extended period of time and then Korvac is surrounding himself with another bunch of losers, then this is a book about a bunch of losers. And it's, it's not raising the other characters up, it's lowering Iron Man and lowering Korvac by association. It's downgrading them because of the company they're keeping. Okay, so second trade was the pursuit and then he gets blipped to that planet with Stiltman. Okay, that was that's the whole second trade. The third trade is when they finally get to Tatu. This was the overpriced extra length trade. Uh, yes. Clearly a trade of, let's get this shit over with, I think. Except it doesn't. So they get to Tatu, they fight Korvac and his dudes, right? There's lots of, they're like racing to the power, the MacGuffin, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, they're, I've got the power. Yeah, it, power. It, his band of misfits are fighting their band of misfits. Tony Black, you know, you think that Korvac's down and then he's like crawling and Iron Man's like, we can't, we can't stop him. He's going to get there. The only way to do it is for me to jump in there too. So they basically jump in this power cosmic together and that's why the second or this third trade is called Cosmic Iron Man because he becomes Cosmic Iron Man. Mm -hmm. He absorbs the power cosmic. Korvac absorbs the power cosmic and they basically just duke it out like mm -hmm. his two cosmic gods. Except uh, Kofu doesn't draw these issues. I think it's Angel Unzueta. Yeah, 
and he, he does a bunch of the he, issues. He does a there is some alternating though. I think yes. that they he they they tag team a little bit. Yeah, and unfortunately, just as the beginning, it says who all the artists are, but you don't you, they don't show before each issue. Anyway, Iron Man Korvac duke it out. Iron Man actually ends up turning him over to the Living Tribunal and the Beyonder and Death and all the big the cosmic the guys. big cosmic guys. Yeah. They like turn Korvac over to him. There's a scene where he when they're fighting, he like smashes Korvac. Oh, I know what he does. He takes him to this dead realm and apparently it's from Cantwell's Doctor Doom. I think it's from Cantwell's Doctor Doom or he read about it when he was doing research for his series. I don't know. Doctor Doom apparently killed an entire dimension. It's got nothing in it. So Iron Man knowing about this dimension banishes Korvac to there. He, he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take you to just nothingness and I'm going to leave you there. And then he tells the cosmic people where he's I at? think that's when they show up and they're like, we're just going to take him. Um, but before they get there, God damn it, there's a scene where they're fighting and he, and he basically like as they're fighting they crash into this planet and as the planet is being destroyed it's like a side the planet uh satania s-a-t-a-n-i-a i don't know if this planet existed in the mcu beforehand it obviously doesn't matter but it's like one dude well in you we should say yeah uh, that's yeah sorry um old habits die hard you say marvel comics universe but we no yeah. it, we don't. so at, so basically tony and the beyond and the, i almost said the beyonder uh, and korvac are fighting oh, uh, there's good reason yeah. to be thinking about the beyonder over the course of the story but carry on so as they're fighting, they end up crashing into this planet. So this little side story that's running underneath Tony and uh, Korvac fighting is this guy seeing his planet about to get destroyed. He jumps in an escape capsule um, and he's the only person that escapes the planet. And then he basically lands at some other planet and he gets in there and he's like, he's got like a, a USB, I think, with all of the uh, history for his. So I narrowly escaped the that hollow universe back into this one, but I still found uh, my home of Draconius no more. I came here to Satania. My drone spent a fuel. Oh, I guess Satania is where he lands. His planet was Draconius. But now even I uh, I feel my last breath as I write these final words on our great history. What will the Iron God bring to his homeworld? Uh, I know what he and Korvac brought to mind. Death. And then he just dies in this bar bleeding. Mm. So it's like, again, like right. Tony's just trying to beat Korvac. Right. But we have to make sure we go out of our way to show you that even while Tony Tony's trying to defeat Korvac. They wiped this guy's whole planet off and we have to watch him die at a table as he's writing the final words. Like, I'm not trying to oversell the, uh, the Tony can't do anything right in this book because yeah. we're, we're now, that's that's issue 15. We're over a year into this run and they're still like heavy handed with this kind of stuff, right? So then he becomes Cosmic Iron Man. He goes back to Earth and he continues to fuck shit up. So he's, he's trying to fix everybody's problems because he thinks that he can make a better utopia. Well, he's got all this guy like power and he's not yeah. going to just renounce it. He's going to do something positive with it. As you pointed out, this whole time he keeps trying to do right and everything gets fucked up. But now that he's a cosmic being, he's going to finally get it right and do it do it the, way, the correct way. And my understanding is that he proceeds to give the entire Earth Tony Stark level intellect. Right. So he's there with the Avengers because he's like, look, I'm not going to make all of my ideas. He, and the way he actually rationalizes it is actually not bad. He was like, I can't have all the great. He goes, I may have the intellect, but maybe I don't have the, the I, I don't have the ideas to apply my intellect. Yeah. He's like the it's everybody has great ideas they just don't have the intellect to execute it. So if I give everyone my intellect then all of these great ideas on the planet can be done, right? It's kind of an interesting way to think about it. So he imbues everybody on planet Earth with actually I think he was doing like a pilot in just New York first to see how it would go and he literally says so the Fantastic 4 there and Sue goes, "Wait, we're all I read. Do you feel different?" And he goes, "Uh, I actually think I just became dumber." Yeah, I love that. And it's just like <laughs> it's it's a funny line. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to show Tony Stark yet again. It's a, uh, right. It's like by, 
by the time you're at, at this point, you're in issue 16 or 17, yeah. and you're like, oh my God, we get it, dude. Like, <laughs> we get it, right? So then there's like all these hijinks where all these people, like, there are car mechanics who are now, uh, who know everything, and like, kids are the, playing. The big wheel is, is on a rampage, and him and Hellcat stop him, and it turns out he was figuring out how to end congestion. Right. End all traffic congestion, and they actually stopped him when they shouldn't have, and all sorts of stuff, right? So it's, it's all the same thing. So they show up, and they figure out who can we get to help, like, solve this Tony Stark problem now. Mm. And they realize it's like Doctor Doom. They get Doctor Doom to help them kind of sort this stuff out. Wasn't there some kind of thing too where people fall under his sway when they're in his proximity or something? And he was like one of the only guys who can like, has the ego to not be swayed? Yeah, well that and she, Hellcat wasn't either. She wasn't swayed by it either. Well, Hellcat's the one who enlists Doctor Doom in the first place. Right, right. But but no, no, because she's all like, when they come out here, oh, and they get Silver Surfer too. They're they're basically like whenever uh, Tony comes out, we all just have to agree with him and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's what he does. Then it turns into, everyone agree with me. Stop disagreeing with me because the power starts getting away from him. He gets musky. Right. Musky. Trying to date this podcast. I do think that Elon Musk's implosion is going to be one of those Howard Hughes kind of things where people will be referencing it for a long time. He ends up having a knockdown drag out with all of his buddies. He kills them all. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, the knockdown is he hits them and they go down. He, right. It's what I remember is like he punches Rhodey and his head flipped the other way. Yeah. yeah. Head spins the wrong way. He like blows. Shreds gargoyle, like shatters him like a, like a statue. He melts Silver Surfer. Like he kills everybody, right? And then he goes, I can undo it. Because Korvac did the same thing back in the 70s. In the mm-hmm. He undoes it, but then he has to make the decision and he and he realizes that he needs to just give the power up. Like he, he well, uh, the, up, right? one of the big questions is he can revive his friends, but does he let them remember that he killed them in the first place? Right. And he decides that he he needs to. He needs well, to let them I think remember. Patsy helps him decide that he needs yeah. to. Uh they so need he, to know what he was capable of under those circumstances. Right. So he does, he brings him back, and that's kind of the other uh, Korvac doesn't Korvac show back up at the end. Yeah. By the end of it, it was like oh he's back again um how do they explain that fuck, i can't oh i uh, know he i think he killed or he escaped he mm. was powerful enough to escape them all um he beats iron man's ass and then picks him up and takes him to the hospital well, but at right? this point tony's already renounced the power and he's like in super masochist ro- mode so he's like allowing korvac to beat him to death without defending himself which is something that rattles korvac we totally forgot something else and maybe you didn't catch it because you were skimming it he gets addicted to morphine oh yeah that's how true. did i forget well, to bring because he broke his neck which we right. also forgot to mention earlier in the earlier in the book he breaks his neck so they set up his armor to give him like a slow morphine drip except whenever he's like adrift in space he turns that shit off no he cranks it up well no he turns he, off the regular he turns the governor off right yeah. because he's like I just need to make it to tattoo to help fight Korvac so he basically knows he's getting like addicted to it right and he becomes a fucking junkie yeah and That's at one a- point Patsy because Patsy's making contact with him in this realm through her telepathy which has been restored and augmented by Moon Dragon because they make a point of having one of the little asterisks that editors note she had her, her mental powers taken away from her by moon dragon and def- new defenders number 116 or some shit like that and moon dragon basically says that you guys are not going to be able to defeat korvac unless you have your telepathy because it's going to be key to everything we have to do and be- with that new super powerful techno te- telepathy she's able to reach to apparently another dimension or some shit and converse with iron man and iron man is like giving her some kind of spiel and she's like okay i know you turned off your governor how high are you right now and he's like i'm so high he's extremely fucked up anyway so that that's so when he, how- when he renounces he's got like powers he's also going into severe morphine, morphine withdrawal so after yeah he, re- he renounces his powers uh he's just like you know what i'm sorry i fucked everything up again i'm a huge because we're now two years into this run and he's made no progress as a human being right well he's um, gotten worse he murdered all of his he's gotten worse god very much worse so finally he, he just walks away from patsy he's stumbling through central park he gets held up by a dude and then he just gives the guy his wallet yeah he gets held up a knife fort. there's more where that point. came from gives his wallet then he passes out from the withdrawals that's when corvac shows up as he's passed out like 
like dying from morphine withdrawal and he's like uh Korvac's just like trashing him like like talking shit to him or whatever and he's just like Stark Stark the wind outside he's like Stark like hello and then he's like Stark and he's just like slapping him and trying to get him to wake up to like hey like let me kick your ass and he's just like I'm a junkie he's just like yeah yeah okay like as the Korvac you see all this text from Korvac like all you know he's just like talking and talking and talking and Tony's just going okay okay yeah well he's like what's happening to you that's what he just tells him he's like dude I'm like a junkie I'm going through withdrawal so basically uh instead of Korvac like killing him he feels sorry for him picks him up and takes him to the hospital right so he can rehab although I do think doesn't Korvac give up his powers first and then not yeah Korvac gives up his powers punches Tony once or actually he starts just beating him man to man almost beats him to death then picks him up when he realizes he can't even fight back takes him to the hospital and then it appears Korvac goes and commits suicide yeah it looks but they like don't he really steps show. off a ledge but it's not explicitly shown that he dies and there's some question yeah. about that yeah it, it's not clear yeah but he takes him to the hospital it's, first it's, it's uh, implied but that's how it ends it ends with Patsy picking him up from the hospital taking him to rehab yeah and it, there's a big thing about how has he proposed to wedding, marriage to her yet um, I don't know if that was yet or not she tells him no yeah spoiler yeah he proposes <laughs> to her and she's like nope. yeah and see that and that was one of the things that was interesting to me is that I knew that Patsy had been a, a, a regular character in the new Iron Man series and I'm seeing all those gorgeous Alex Ross covers and so it's like I, uh, I'll get around to it you know it, I, we hadn't been covering comic books in a while I didn't have any real good reason to just like keep checking out the 2020 Iron Man series right so when I read that in the previews catalog or whatever I'm like oh shit she might actually end up marrying Iron Man that could be kind of a big deal and then when I'm looking at it in this book it's like literally it asked and answered in like one issue she's like nah dog you know it's just like okay well I guess that wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be and then there's this whole thing where will you take me to rehab uh, yes you're the only person I would ask to do this and then you're the only person I'd ask to come pick me up and she picks him up three months later because he needed to stay longer to because to, he felt like he needed more time and they just make this big deal about her being like the one and only person that he could rely on and count and be comfortable with uh, exposing this vulnerability and and having her uh, take him in and out of rehab and of course she's on the cover to that Iron Man trade you've got although that's got to be probably the worst cover of the run and it's this weird thing where I think he's like trying to channel Gene Colan drawing Hellcat and it just looks kind of weird her legs look floppy like the dummy from the sabotage video so it's the beginning of the last trade when he proposes to her it's when okay. she picks him up from rehab that he proposes to her yeah. and then she doesn't really like give him an answer at yeah. first which is never a good sign hey right. and also I'm guys not out sure there. guys and gals marry the morphine addict fresh out of rehab who's making like rash decisions now that he's back right. being uh, uh, reintroduced into society um, and then the, the rest of the book is kind of like uh, what is this fucking last story about it's uh, they find out that one of um, Iron Man's old uh, dudes from the Michelini days uh, turned into like a, uh, a weapons broker mm-hmm. and he actually got he called Tony and Rhodey and left them a voicemail saying he needed to talk to them and it's because he had purchased on the black market the Mandarin's rings and then the dude gets right. fucking and murdered then, and that dude I think was from some previous run he's from the Michelini run and he was, oh, he was well, and then of course he's killed at some point or they say he's been killed and then some villain turns up with the rings I thought it was um, Carbon Man what is that guy's name Cobalt Man okay this last story I had to kind of refresh my memory on it I apologize I can understand why though because it very much is like here's the Cantwell run ending with him going into rehab oh shit we are filling four more issues of some bullshit yeah clearly because the last issue is total filler and doesn't have so it's it's literally a four issue literally like they're building up to the legacy number 65 650 yeah and the uh, volume number 25 but he's run out of story with issue 21 and then you've got this thing where it's like what what is this what's going on here you know it's just and then and the hellcat pretty much mostly disappears from that final arc yeah oh yeah yeah because they're like they don't even 
talk anymore. I think he yeah. even says I haven't talked to her in a while at some point. Right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that might be. I'm going to marry her, but now we're not really talking that much. Well, she which said, is which typically what happens. No. She said no. Okay, so well, the gist of the story is that Tony finds out there's a black market for super weapons. Okay, and the Mandarin's rings happen to have been on that thing. One of their buddies got killed for it. So he, Rhodey, I think that's dude Force. Is that his name? Force is Force, from right from the late Michelini. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they get their buddy Force. Mark Bright days, right? Yeah. Yes. He is. Um, they have him be like the buyer. Tony funds it, and they basically say, "You're gonna go, and you're gonna just we're just gonna buy all this shit." He's like, I, "I will use every dime I have to just buy, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna store it, and then eventually destroy it, tear it down, and destroy it." It's, called, it's almost like a bootleg Armor Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was definitely thinking Armor Wars when you yeah, were mentioning yeah. it. So hey, anyway. shit, they're still gonna make an Armor Wars movie. Fuck, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, so he, they're doing these deals, shady shit going on. They're trying to figure out who killed their guy. Um, they're trying to get Mandarin's rings. Bethany Cabe pops up, and she's the one like man, another Michelin really threw me off back. because. Oh, she I'm, looks I'm skimming, like Patsy Walker. Yeah, I'm skimming through like, the books. It's like, oh, there's the redhead. That's already like, wait, Bethany yeah. Cabe? Riri Williams shows up. More than shows up, she's the cobalt man. She takes off the helmet. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm here to help. It's like, what the fuck? Riri Williams has not appeared in this entire run. And doesn't she keep the 10 rings at the end of it or something? It's, something like that. Yeah, it's like a, they, they have to like make a deal to figure out who's going to keep the 10 rings. And she's just like unilaterally, I am. Turns by. out Force had betrayed them. He was actually, it was bullshit the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he was actually working for the, the bad guys. It's a whole bunch of stuff, guys. It's not a bad little story but it's not it, it's four issues out of what I'm telling you is a 25 issue run we're right. not going to spend too much well and also like do they have the rest of 650 in there or do they just stop with the, the little Cantwell three to five pages that are in issue number 25 because there's a whole thing where like Kurt Busiek does a, a retro story where it's supposed to be like the, a, another Tales of Suspense that's issue in that never too. came out that's in here too I that, and that looked kind of cool I didn't read that though didn't read because uh, it didn't have Hellcat and that's what I'm here for and then they had like some the space Tony thing or something is what I remember correctly don't worry about it. Yeah. So the, the last story is it's called Iron Man Day, okay. and there's basically like a, a Iron Man Day in the city of New York, or whatever, yeah. right? Where they're gonna and and the whole issue is Iron Man not wanting to go to Iron Man Day, right. and he's basically finding anything else he can do instead of going to Iron I'm Man. I'm not Day. worthy because I'm not that's because that's what it is. Yeah. He feels like he sh- he doesn't like the attention that it's the, all he does is screw everything up. He shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, he he shows up and they're doing like the sibilance sibilance mic check, and he's like, I can't do this, and he just leaves. He goes down to the subways and finds a junkie overdosing. He takes him to the hospital. Junkie ends up dying. And then at the end of it, it's just like, he missed the entire day. He gets back to his house. Hellcat's there. The Avengers are there. And they say, happy Iron Man Day, Tony. And then it's like, he remembers that, oh, he does have friends out there who actually care about him. But he fucked over the entire city and did not show up to Iron Man Day at any point. Right. Like, it's really... And also some of these people he killed in the last few months. Yeah. So that that's where the 25-issue arc ends. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been somewhat openly critical over yeah. the course of this discussion. You've been a little bit more cagey. So the first trade, I was fully on board. The second trade, the Stiltman arc threw me for a loop, but it was weird enough that I was sort of like, you know what, this is still just like different Iron Man. You know what, every character that's been around since the 60s is going to go through some weird stuff. When it turned out that the blip that sent him there was just Stiltman pulling him out of the story that's been dragging at that point, and then he, they just put him back, It was that was a little annoying. Like, I thought that Korvac had sent him there, or, you know, there was a reason for him to have been there, and when you find out it was just like a complete side story, and just to take him out of the picture for a while. And let's not forget that Stiltman, having been a Marvel villain for a long time, having a pretty decent idea of the hierarchy of power in the Marvel universe, would probably know that if somebody's going to fuck up his whole deal, it's going to be somebody like Tony Stark. It's going to be Tony Stark. So don't bring Tony Stark. Who is intimately familiar with with the Ultimos. This is a D-man situation, okay? Hell, you could maybe even bring Rhodey, maybe. Although, let's face it, at some point, Tony's going to find Rhodey if you take Rhodey. Don't bring the super genius who is going to unravel 
unravel your scheme. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that was annoying. No, you, you don't like text the mystery machine to come by your haunted amusement park. You know. Yeah. So, but then you know him getting the power cosmic was cool. The the cosmic armor was a little strange looking. It actually looked a little bit like Will Spertacio's Iron Man Reborn uh, Reborn uh, Avent- uh, Heroes Reborn armor mixed with the uh, Superior Iron Man armor a little bit. Like it was kind of weird. Look, had like a mouth silvery co- energy way. It had like a weird like mouth lip thing. It's kind of bizarre, but it was kind of cool watching him make these decisions. Like I said, they're kind of out of the box. So I'll just give everybody Iron Man single that they kind of shit on him, and then it kind of all falls, falls apart from there. You know, he proposes to Patsy, and she like turns him down, which was some fucked up shit. Which one was like, okay, well that was a choice, right? Like it's not you know Elaine and Jerry aren't gonna get married in the final episode of Seinfeld. Like nope, you, you know what? She sees you're fucked up. She knows she's fucked up. The morphine addiction. It just is. Do we need another one of these? Do we need another one of the, yeah. the more like what? how many demons and how many bottles? The, Korvac I mean, only didn't admit, kill him because he felt bad for him because he was a junkie. Right. It's how he defeats Korvac. Admittedly, people who have addictive personalities also have a tendency toward backsliding too, but we've done that a bunch of times too. I got to find a line in this comic book that I forgot about that was sort of, that was like a... Like, ooh, kind of a... Give me one sec. I, I liked that there was a straight-up Patsy and Hetty flashback where she... Or uh, a dream sequence, kind of. Yeah. Uh, they, they they talk about Hellstrom. They, like, that kind of stuff pops up in here, which I appreciate from the Hellcat perspective that oh, they didn't go tons into it, but the fact that it even was... that came up about how her mom was a writer and all... But, they so actually put some Hellcat lore yeah, in here. So Hellcat's been around throughout this two-year run. She doesn't take it over. She is an important part of the run, but there are whole issues where she's barely or not in it at all so she has one spotlight issue and it's not the entire issue either there's still Iron Man content within the issue but during the period where Moondragon is trying to unlock her telekinetic or telepathic abilities um, she has her go into the past and deal with all these dream states she goes back to Centerville which is the setting for the old Patsy and Hetty comic books she uh, is using her telepathy against uh, one of her teachers uh, and then ultimately she runs into a Damon Hellstrom who's like the principal of the school and it's all this psycho play to get her to a place where she finally accepts the flaws in herself like there's a sequence where her mom has her she's already been uh, rendered comatose and she's lying on her bed and her mom is talking about how she's written all these stories about the perfect version of Patsy that she wanted instead of the actual human being that's in her life uh, and in fact there's a story or no I think it's part of the miniseries and so Patsy's dealing with never being the, the idealized daughter that her mother wanted and her, her the mother is basically like I, I'm looking forward to her killing herself so that I don't have to deal with this person anymore I can just deal with the idealized version of my stories and somebody comes to her bed and gives her a straight razor in order to facilitate her suicide and ultimately the dream Patsy is in an asylum and then the uh, modern Patsy goes to the asylum with Moondragon unbinds her from her straitjacket accepts her and her ability to accept her past self and her flaws allows her to finally unlock the telepathy that helps her and Iron Man to defeat Korvac. I can't find it. Doesn't matter. There, there, there's a line where somebody says somebody says something about how it's sort of like a gonna kill yourself or you're gonna get yourself killed or something like that and she's like don't ever use kill yourself around me ever or something like that and it's just mm. like uh like because she killed herself right. it's like a, a, like a little too on the nose with the joke like give mm-hmm. me a break I remember if it was gargoyle etc roadie made a comment it was just like i actually think uh, that might have been during the plane ride i don't remember it, it yeah. it's too many issues it's 25 yeah. issues i'm not gonna flip through so th- this gets back to the aspen so what's fucking with me while i'm reading this material is that he's got an asterisk to the issue of patsy and hetty number 95 apparently yeah that where she's the valedictorian of her 
her class and shit. And, you know, specifically naming the issue of Defenders where her powers were taken away by Moondragon and all this kind of shit. So it gives you the impression that this person is well-read on these characters and can make these references. Until you remember that there were tons of online resources where you could skim the Cliff Notes versions of all these characters and where they would tell you where exactly they're referencing. And it'd be extremely easy to just put that in there to look like you know what you're talking about without actually knowing what you're talking about. Because my feeling is that if you read Patsy and Hetty comic books like I did, I'm not somebody who grew up on this shit. She was gone by the time I was coming into comic books. I discovered this character, like I knew she existed, I'd read some stories with her, but I started paying attention to this character during the life of this podcast because I was looking for female characters that were underrepresented in the comic books to do some spotlight episodes on so that we can have like experience diversity and, and show like characters that'd be cool to adapt into the MCU and that kind of shit, right? And I fell down a Hellcat hole of all this weird shit with this character and went back and read those old comic books and they're fucking great. And what makes her such a gem of a character is she's so much fun. She's so vivacious. She's she's her and her scheming with Hetty. It's like they're not necessarily good people, but they're interesting people. They're fun people. They're people who would love their lives and love their scheming and love their rivalry and all this kind of shit. And Steve Englehart had read those Patsy and Hetty comic books when he brought the character back in the Beast comics, the solo comics in Amazing Adventures, and then later brings her into the Avengers where she would have first come in contact with Iron Man. And throughout the run of Defenders comic books that she appeared in, the main team that she was a part of, she's written by mostly David Anthony Kraft, and he's doing the whole cheese and crackers and like playing her off as sort of a goofy character who's out of her depth, but still like embracing it and loving it and like just be having fun with all of her shit. So if you read any of that shit, you know that she should not be such a fucking bitch. She is such a goddamn scold. She is so depressing. Why would you, like, I feel like the marriage proposal was another instance of Tony punishing himself for all the things he's done. Like he's going to hook up with this person who is just constantly pointing out his flaws as another way for him to continue to beat himself up. And also, especially once they unlock the telepathy and she's doing all this cosmic shit, it's like, you're Jean Grey. You're not fucking Patsy anymore. Why don't you just have fucking Jean in this book now? That's This isn't the character. So this is an instance of a writer coming in, doing research in order to write the characters, which I could applaud. That's better than fucking Jodie Picoult coming in from her mystery novels to have Wonder Woman not being able to pump gas, right? Infamously. But they got some, this is Marvel star fucker bullshit. They got some guy who wrote for Halt and Catch Fire and some other TV shows. And he comes in, he writes a 15 fucking issue arc because he doesn't know how comics work. But he at least does the research or he has an editor who's helping him to get the, 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 the basics down. But I don't think he knows this shit. I don't think he knows these characters. The Tony Stark that's being represented in this arc is the Tony arc from the movies where he's the fucker that creates Ultron and he's the guy with the fucking I'm going to build a wall around the entire world to protect the earth shit. And I'm not saying that the comics don't inform that because Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau did the fucking research. They gained an understanding of those characters while also doing things that were different for the movies to tell their own story. But they it was grounded in a real knowledge of who that character was. And I think Cantwell saw the movies, did red reference material. Cantwell did some research. And let me, so let me, I found the line real quick. Okay. So uh, it's when they're going to, to Galactus's ship and Tony, so Tony beats them there because he blips in front of them, even though he hasn't been on the ship. So she's like, how the hell did he get there before us? And he says, who knows? Or it could be Korvac beat them there. doesn't matter. He says, who knows? But the force fields, this is Rhodey. Who knows? But the force fields rising directly ahead. We're going to slam into them unless we bank away. She says, and Hellcat goes, no, floor it and get inside the shields before they form. And, and Rhodey goes, that's suicidal. And she goes, two favors, Rhodey. One, don't use that word around me ever again. And two, hit the gas. And I was just like, what? 
yeah, dude, I was just like, oh, let me reread this again. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I, I did not read this run. I skimmed this run. I at some point I did. I was trying to read at least all the Patsy Walker dialogue. At some point, I just couldn't anymore, and that was past that point. Okay, so I I, re- I listened to an interview with Christopher Cantwell. It was on a, a podcast called The Geek History Lessons. It was episode three thirty. Okay, and they they talk off the first. They, they talk about Doctor Doom. Okay, and I kind of wasn't really listening to it. I was eating lunch, but he calls Reed Richards, and maybe you agree with this, maybe I don't know, but it was my first sort of like it, it like I had kind of pause the podcast to be like, did I just hear what he said? He calls Reed Richards an intellectual bully, which that's fair, especially in the early fair. years, especially it, like like especially with Sue in the early years, he was kind of an intellectual bully. Sure, okay, but it was sort of like that's a take, yeah, okay, like that's not somebody who wants to write the Fantastic Four and make the loving family that does exploration across the universe. If you look at Reed Richards and you're like, he's an intellectual bully. When you're looking at it from the perspective of somebody who writes Doctor Doom, it's kind of like a strange thing. Like, who? No, no, no. The- actually, actually, I, I disagree. I think that's actually probably the right take. It's sort of like, that's fine. like I, I hate Brian Azzarello in general. I just, I, I really hate his take on comic books. He's a person who hates superhero comic books and hates superheroes, but he keeps taking the money and writing them, or at least he did for a long time there. But he wrote a miniseries called Lex Luthor Man of Steel with art by Lee Bermejo, which will definitely get my ass through the door, right? And it was all about Lex Luthor looking at Superman from his perspective, even though I recognize that he's a xenophobe and he's got all these other complexes and all this kind of shit. Within the context of that story, you're kind of rooting for Lex because you can see his perspective on Superman and why he hates that person, why he sees that person as dangerous and a threat to all mankind and all this kind of other stuff. So if you, when you're writing the villain and you're writing from the villain's perspective, I think you do have to have sympathy for the villain. You have to understand the motivations. Even if you don't like the villain, you need to understand why they do the things they do. So if you're writing a Doctor Doom series, coming at it from the perspective of Reed Richards and intellectual bully. And I do think that Reed is more intelligent than Victor Von Doom. And I think that perhaps part of their rivalry is because Victor is smart enough to recognize that. I'm not sure because he has such an ego. And also I'm not entirely sure that he is smarter. I just, my perspective is I think Reed is smarter because he beats Dr. Doom. You know, that's part of it. But if you're writing Dr. Doom, yeah, you're going to look at Reed from the most negative light possible. And I could see where that would carry over into other things. But especially if you're talking about Doom, like, hi, I'm writing Dr. Doom and I'm talking about my perspective. That's not where it came. That's not how it came up yeah it, it was just i don't know he wasn't saying dr doom's motivations are that he see why how can you hate reed richards when dr doom hates reed richards because he was just describing reed richards right. and i'm like okay well, that's but, a- but again like brian azarello wrote superman for a year and he had no business doing that and that story fucking sucked and it was a waste of jim lee's talents drawing that character right nobody loves for tomorrow which is the name of the the one year he did and a lot of the shitty superman stuff that people hate that infused the snyder superman movies and it's one of the reasons why people hate the snyder's movie so much is not just because of what Snyder did, but because he seemed to be referencing what Azarello did. But I thought Azarello wrote a really great Lex Luthor miniseries because he thinks like Lex Luthor. He hates Superman. He hates superheroes. And he could effectively write that character because he's in that guy's shoes to some degree. That doesn't mean I suddenly want Azarello to write a fucking Superman story. Fuck that guy. Fuck it, those stories. But if you're going to have him write a Lex Luthor miniseries, especially if it's been drawn by Lee Barrejo, that's a good call. And it seems like with Cantwell, given the contempt he shows for Tony Stark for two fucking years of this series, and given the fact that he started out writing a Doctor Doom thing and when he couldn't sustain that commercially jumps over to an Iron Man thing had carry some of that Doctor Doomness with him it, and then of course brings Doctor Doom in for the, a story arc it kind of makes sense it, it, so, it, it tracks so so the interviewer asks him like what research did you do to base kind of base to get the, the lay down of you know Iron Man stuff and he says that he read the Michelini uh, Leighton stuff including Armor Wars but that's a lot of stuff did he read all the stuff or did well, he I mean, read some he, of the he, trades he had um, you know Victor, it was Marinelli or whatever his guy, and then he's got Bethany Cave in there for like three panels, right? I mean, that's some late era stuff. Again, that's light 
you know. But he, so he says he talks about tone the way Tony acts during Armor Wars. Now Armor Wars is an arc. Okay, it starts off with him realizing that all of these bad guys are using his technology, and then he goes he goes a little crazy and just says, "I'm going to take all my technology back." Like you fucked with the wrong guy. Stop using my technology to hurt people, right? And he feels a little bit of responsibility for that. But then he goes a little too far and he starts fucking with people like Sting. Was it Stingray? Right? Who's the dude that goes? Right? Yeah, Stingray, red and white. Yep. Underwater guy. Yeah. He fucks Stingray up and turns out Stingray doesn't have Stark technology. He just fucked this guy. He assumed and kind of fucked the guy up, right? But Cantwell says, he talks about how selfish Tony is in Armor Wars. And that it's a really selfish thing to think that all of, that you, how did he phrase it? That um, it's his responsibility. That all these people using his technology must be using it for wrong. And that he's the only one that can fix it all. And he has to do it by taking it back. And I'm like, that wasn't Armor Wars at all. Like, I mean, it's just a really weird, I've never heard anybody describe Armor Wars the way he described Armor Wars. And I was like, okay, now these comics may make a little more sense. If you look at Tony as just being selfish no matter what the fuck he does, he went to, he went rogue in, uh, well, because he found out that S.H.I.E.L.D. stole all of his fucking technology and he's like, fuck you, Nick Fury. I'm taking, you know, you can, your mandroids can't have Stark technology. I did not allow you to have that. So I'm taking it the fuck back. So he develops that neuralizer that dis, that dis- neutralizes Tony Stark, that Stark-based technologies, right? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? How, how is that Tony being selfish? They stole his technology and they're using it to hurt fucking hurt people. What, I'm sorry, like, that's a pretty basic thing. Again, then it does go to his head. That's the arc of a character. That's when you tell a story and then he realizes he's gone too far by the end of it, right? Like, that's that's how it goes as opposed to a story where a character doesn't evolve for the entire story arc where they enter it one type of way and they stay that way the entire time and then get worse throughout it, right? So I, as soon as I heard him describe Armor Wars that way, I was like, oh, Oh, you know what? The Dodge Aspen might be clowning him. He put him in a Dodge Aspen because he's a clown and he was trying to make Tony look like a clown. He put him in that scene on the airplane to make him look like a clown, right? And Christopher Cantwell is actually Hellcat <laughs> in this book, shitting on Tony on all the pages. I will say, so I, I, I would say if you had been reading Iron Man nonstop and you'd suffered through a, several other runs in a row, like the Bendis stuff and the Dan Slot stuff that was allegedly so bad, and then you get to this stuff and you're like, yes, a fresh start. That's what we're all looking for. And then you got this stuff. I could absolutely see how you would make a celebratory YouTube video saying how awful it was that this dude's finally gone. I could I could see that. Myself as being somebody who's like, none of these are my Iron Man. Th- these are all what ifs to me as far, you know, my my, my Iron Your Man. Your period has already ended. My period has ended. I, I have no stake in this. I have no right to complain about this stuff, right? I'll say that I, I thought that the, the writing for the most part was fine in trade setting. If I was waiting every month for if this took two years to tell you're paying four dollars we say two years because it's 25 issues this is marvel comic book modern comic books i don't know how long this shit actually took i'm not sitting there and doing the math on it it could have been gaps in between there as well like that stilt man story yeah month after month month after month tony in a hut doping up yeah getting getting hot getting super fucking hot fighting ultimos and fighting ultimos that he didn't even recognize it first and was like i recognize ultimo on that first page how to tell Right, right. I could see how it could be The part where Stiltman learns how to control or construct Ultimos, I I didn't miss that part. How did that happen again? Well, he learned how to turn them on and operate them is basically all it is. Okay. It's, don't, 
don't don't just <laughs> yeah it, it's i could see how if you read that monthly it'd be grading for me it wasn't as bad but f- reading it all in one sitting the harshness of patsy towards tony and the woe was me tony it got pretty it, at first i was intrigued by it because i wanted to see where it would go and when it just didn't go anywhere except that then he gets the power cosmic and becomes an even bigger asshole and never like learns a lesson like when did he learn a fucking lesson and then the whole arc or the the, his, the whole writing tenure ends with him skipping Iron Man Day and not wanting to be there you know and still not wanting to be a hero and you know what I mean I, I just I didn't it was kind of like what was the fucking point other than to just have him shit on for two years and he, he just had him shit on for two years he just fucked up he ignored his friend's phone call and it got him killed in that in the the Mandarin ring store uh, weapons trading store he, he ignored the guy's call and got him killed like it's just it didn't stop it was like relentless so with that it was kind of fucked up I would not say this is my favorite anywhere near my favorite Iron Man I wouldn't even I don't know if I would even wreck I wouldn't if you can get these from the library if you hate Tony Stark and want to see him shat upon or if you hate like if, if you're like a glass onion person and yeah. you loved watching uh, Edward Norton play a shittier or what seemed like a shittier version actually he seems like the better version of Elon Musk at this point if you got off on that you might got get off on reading this as well but why would you want to why would you want to read about a person you it's hate it's pretty why would you want to write a person that you hate so if you want to go to, to if you want to talk about Kafu you're right it's not super shiny blingy armor and it is a contrast with the Alex Ross like limitless metal could on not the be more dissimilar right. although it, it does have a painterly quality to it yeah I actually I really enjoyed it it's a little stiff it's a it's a little pinuppy um but I, th- I find it to be rather attractive artwork like was the least of my complaints was and, the and there were another couple of artists in the run that I thought were also quite and they good. were also good I think Angel Unzueta was good and there's another person as well that I like yeah Unzueta went I, I, don't remember, I don't remember any of the issues having outright bad art no. except toward the end the last arc there might have been a couple art. Right. Yeah. but yeah. another reason why it's like it, that it felt like this weird a vestigial element you know a, a they did a the good job point. and I don't know if it was by I don't know if it was uh, colorists or what it was but they, they did a good job that even when they were filling I artists I think Kapu does their own colors because they? They, there's a certain coloring that that person always gets that I think that's a full art so it's almost like maybe they're drawing in pencils or something like a color pencils or something. D'Armada, maybe? Who did? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but who, whoever, the, the art, even when it changed artists, it was never jarring. Um, Kafu was definitely the best of the art, interior artists here. But whenever it changes, it was not jarring. I think the, the Alex Ross armor looks great. Um, I mean, that's got to be one of the most gorgeous runs of covers that Iron Man's ever oh, had, certainly. Oh Pro- my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it looks so good. Especially when, when he and turns, it, into, it, co- when he turns yeah. into Cosmic Iron Man mm. and the covers where he's fighting Korvac, they're outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. Like, I, I don't know if there's a poster series you can buy of these dude they look incredible um and see this thing too i've, t- I've talked about this in the past is that i think that uh, alex ross loves the dc universe more than he loves the marvel universe i think that that's been expressed in a number of times he was at dc for quite a few years before he kind of got tired of them and pitched deuce but his style that ultra realistic style works so much better for marvel characters because marvel characters being grounded in reality just suits that universe so well drawing them ultra realistic is perfect uh and, and he's just you know his his doctor strange covers were incredible his fantastic four covers my favorite though the, the black panther stuff he's done is just unreal just gorgeous 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 stuff i, I don't read month, mo- very many monthly comics books anymore but i was definitely tempted solely because his covers were mm. so damn good so it definitely 
it's easy to look past other failings when the covers are that fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want if you want these just to flip through because they're pretty, I could totally see that too. And again, yeah, like if you're not a big Iron Man fan, you you might actually dig this because it, it it does it takes a cynical look at who Tony Stark is. But if you're if you are like, okay, this is a really cynical look, I can't wait to see where the character learns a lesson by the end of it. <laughs> I got bad news for you, it, it doesn't really happen. Uh, and that's kind of what I was disappointed. I was hoping that a lot of the criticism came from those first early issues and nobody gave it the benefit of the doubt to actually watch him turn by the end of it and, and I mean unless I missed it I just don't I don't see it I don't see where he ever doesn't become a piece of shit um, I don't see where he ever isn't kind of a sniveling confidenceless loss you know hey, I, the poor little rich boy yeah he's poor little rich boy that airplane scene is cruel it's like cruel and she's just like shitting on him well he's like why can't I lean my seat back and they're like well they're not gonna bring you champagne floats you don't own this jet and it's just like good Christ like you know this Iron Man he saved the fucking world a trillion goddamn times can you be can you be a little nicer to the guy you hey Patsy you exist because Iron Man has probably saved the planet at least half a dozen times okay if by himself fuck with the Avengers we're not even gonna add those times like and, but it's just like who cares let's forget about all that this dude has ne- this is a hero that has never done anything good ever even looking at it as a what if it got hard by the end of it so I gotta point out again I didn't read this run I skimmed this run what I had read was they released the Iron Man and Hellcat annual this was released in 2022 art on this one is by Ruary Coleman not familiar but I'm not familiar with most artists these days I chose the Peach Momoko cover because it was cool and I was wanting it because like okay this is a comic book with Hellcat in it on the as a titular co-star it is cool uh, I'm going to pick this up I had picked up the Kate Leth series we'd actually recorded because I'd had you read the first issue I don't know what happened to that recording I, I can't find it and I'd never I'd read the series but I'd lost interest because the character was too frivolous it was a situation where I want to see Patsy being a fun loving character who embraces being a superhero but you know all, but but also is elevated because she is somebody who's been with Marvel almost since the very beginning she's a character who financially helped support Marvel for a number of years and then she got involved with a lot of the superhero stuff and she just has one of the coolest weirdest histories of any character ever so I'd like to see her promoted to the upper tiers of Marvel and let her be an Avenger or whatever build her up and the problem that I have is like she's they are aggressively marginalizing this character over the years even though she's hanging out with Iron Man for a two year run she's basically there to just be this scold that makes Tony feel like shit the entire time right well in in her last series and they use the font the, the, the logo from the Patsy Walker Hellcat series on that cover this story is about her going back to live in her mother's house for reasons I don't remember and there's a bunny rabbit in the house that turns out to have the soul of Damon Hellstrom in it Patsy is being haunted by all kinds of ghosts and I think that her ex-husband Mad Dog shows up at one point but now he's like a were Mad Dog and she's seeing these images of herself with cat claws and, and being possessed by demons and Hetty's there with her and there's some question about maybe Hetty's involved with the visions she's having and stuff and it's all this really grim dark stuff and it's tying in closely with the events of the Hellstorm mini se- ongoing series and a lot of stuff that they were dealing with in the annuals where they revive the character they bring that up over and over again I have to point out that we talked about those annuals almost a decade ago those comic those books were like a decade plus old when we did that so we're talking about annuals from like 2000 2003 somewhere in there I would hope that somebody like Patsy Walker would have maybe moved on from that and maybe reclaimed some of her old happy-go-lucky stuff but no it's it's all about her still uh, crying about hell and 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 all her bad marriages and everything else just kind of wallowing in this shit and then again I get the Peach Momoko cover for the miniseries that spins off that's also by Christopher Cantwell I should point out that that annual takes place around the time or slightly before Iron Man number 20 so the annual is kind of explaining her absence and I assume that the miniseries might also do that as well now the miniseries is drawn by Alex Lins the annual is in, in a more 
more cartoony style. I mean, it's, it's not, it's lighter. So it's kind of a contrast between this grimdark elements and the art being pretty and kind of happy, happier looking artwork. Where this one is a darker from the very beginning, more raw. And she's still in the house and she's still being haunted. But also apparently at some point, like she had been a private investigator working for the law firm of She-Hulk. And so she was around throughout one of those runs. I didn't, I haven't read that material. Remember hearing about that? On it. Heard yeah. about that. I don't understand how she becomes a detective. I don't know where they get that from, but I haven't read the issues. I really can't comment on that. So I guess at some point she became involved with Sleepwalker, the uh, Tom DeFalco, and Brett he, Blevins character. He shows in the 90s. up in one of these last issues. Yeah. Well, there's like one or two pages where in the 25th issue where it's sort of saying, hey, continue the story in the ongoing yeah. or the, the yes. Hellcat miniseries. That's right? this series. And, and of course, they gave her a new logo that is like one of the shittiest, most amateur logos I've ever seen on a professional comic. Oof. Yeah. It's just this crappy little font. It looks like an flames indie, at the top. like an indie comic. It really does uh, look like an indie comic book. It's like I bitch a lot about how, especially DC, just like they just want to use fonts for all their logos now. And they, they look so fucking boring. And I, it just completely turns me off. I literally. I just want to show you how great Iron Man's logo right, is. Right, has they, always yeah. been. Not always. But this one in particular looks great. Whether it had the rivets well, on it Well, isn't that a revival of his 90s logo or one of his 90s yeah. logos? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's it, good. Does, it, it does have the rivets on it. My bad. They're just yeah. colored. Man. Yeah, it looks great. It's like JLA, the, the Grant Morrison, Howard Porter run. They did like some kind of an omnibus at one point in time. I wanted to buy it, but the cover had the JLA in a font. And I'm like, I'm not giving you $150 for you to do this fucking bullshit Microsoft Word logo. Sans shit, serif, right? yeah. bold, I underline. I love the JLA Shield logo. I adore that. I bought so many fucking comics in the late 90s, early 2000s, because it had that shield on it. And that meant I was going to buy it because I was all in for that period of JLA. I loved it. I still think that's the most perfect Justice League run. So they recently solicited a new series of collections that, that they're just going to be regular trade paperbacks, although they'll be thicker. And this is the first time they're going to collect the miniseries and the specials and shit. Apparently those weren't in the omnibuses hmm. or the previous JLA uh, runs. And I was on the fence because I'm like, well, if they're doing that, they'll probably eventually do an omnibus of that and I'll just get that omnibus. But I'm not 100% that they're going to do that. And these books have the JLA shield on them. I'm like, fuck me. I'm going to buy this for the fucking logo. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's been my one bitch. I haven't bought, because I don't have a comprehensive collection of those issues anymore. I sold the individual issues when I had my shop. I picked up some of the trades. I don't have all the trades. So I literally don't possess a bunch of those comic books I have such affection mm. for. But knowing that there's going to be a trade paperback set that's going to have the logo on it and it's also going to collect the material that I still have floppies of. Like the Paradise Lost I've got the floppies of still. Because it was never collected to my knowledge ever anywhere. Well, now they're going to collect it. So now I've got the... the but one of the reasons is for the fucking logo because DC hopefully finally has learned the lesson. Put my fucking great logo on my cover so that it can fully fulfill my nostalgia and buy that shit. And Marvel's been better. They, they went back to... Because the, they did their font shit for a while there too, but they've gone back to logos and the, yeah, they'll recycle old logos. But the logos look cool, They're man. Great. That fucking Iron Man 90s logo with the Alex Ross covers. Yeah. Excellent. Mm, chef kiss. But then they give this shitty fucking... And Hellcat's never had a good logo yeah. in her entire career. She never had one. But this one's really fucking bad. So please don't do this. It makes me not want to buy your comic book because the logo is that fucking ugly. So again, at some point she hooked up with Sleepwalker and it's like, this isn't helping. <laughs> You know, this this isn't, you're not getting any cred. And apparently they've taken, because I, I don't know a ton about Sleepwalker. I never read that shit. But apparently he's like a cop from the dream dimension. And apparently he's been stripped of his badge and left in an asylum because he they've accused him of murdering the guy that Patsy hooked up with after the Iron Man annual. And so the whole miniseries is the mystery of who killed this guy. And like also Patsy dealing with the trauma that she apparently was helping a guy cheat in school because she was small 
smart, but she she didn't have resources and she's working at a burger place. And so she was making extra money by helping people write their term papers and stuff. Anyway, apparently there was some kind of a cheating scandal and this one guy gets blamed for it. And so he gets into a fight and he gets mad. So he breaks a bottle and stabs a guy in the fucking throat in high school. And the guy dies. And the dude's like running from the cops. And I think he dies running from the cops. And like his spirit's still mad at Patsy. And it's like, does Patsy not have enough emotional baggage without you throwing this extra fucking bullshit at her? But what's even worse is much of the time Patsy like at one point is like essentially killed and resurrected again. She's being guided the entire time by the Damon Hellstrom bunny rabbit doll. And also like Black Hearts involved in this a whole bunch. And that's one thing is like Mephisto was kind of tied into some of her hell resurrection shit. I don't remember Black Heart being involved unless she was in the miniseries that I haven't read yet that Englehart did in the early 2000s with Brave Fogel. But like, so I've got these characters that are from non-Patsy Walker things, like being involved in the Patsy Walker story and essentially solving the mystery for her. She's straight up like a one of the Midnight Suns now in this book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. Like ultimately, I think it's Dream the Sleepwalker who figures out that actually the guy that she was dating was like doing hypnotic suggestions while she was asleep and able to control her memories of events. He's trying to build some sort of like vessel that will allow him the, to, to go into the hell dimension or some shit. Compromising Blackheart like he was going to die because they were using his heart as part of it but he needed this like princess of hell because she, she was married to Damon Hellstrom so she was he was using her to get to the hell dimension and also to learn like what happened to his parents or some shit like that and then eventually the bunny rabbit turns back into Damon Hellstrom because Damon's also been manipulating things so that he can come back from a hell dimension and Patsy gets turned into like a weird cat thing like Tigra the other person that had her costume before her and so the whole thing is about how other people are doing shit and solving the mysteries for her and protecting her and carrying her or manipulating her to get what they want out of her she's just she's like just this, this she's this vessel for all this chaos yeah, for she, other characters yeah, she's to do. just this passive person in her own miniseries and of course the character again she's not vivacious she's not fun she's not she doesn't have much in the way of agency and then it ends with her like oh look at me I'm jumping across the moon I think I still have some of my like lame ass cat powers I don't know if she still has the telepathy from the Iron Man run it's just like who would read this and decide oh who I wrote, who wrote this that? Christopher Cantwell Cantwell wrote that too yes huh? he did yes he did so he spends I knew he wrote this this one shot yeah, thing but yeah he Andy. spends two years shitting on Iron Man Tony Stark and then he spins that off into a Hellcat miniseries and he spends five issues in annual shitting on fucking Hellcat why is this guy writing superhero comic book why is he Azzarelloing all over the fucking place I've talked about this in the past there are superheroes I don't like one of the ones I, I like to point to is Cyclops because I grew up in the era post burn where Louise Simonson and Chris Claremont were just fucking shitting on that guy for year after year they just he was a fucking punching bag right and so he did all this reprehensible shit over those years and it's like no I don't think he's a hero and of course over the years they've progressed with that like right before he got married to Jean Grey he, he contemplated having a fling with Psylocke and then later on after Jean Grey dies for the final time I think except with her when her teenage self came back from the past to the future and they all were like being the current X-Men and that's when Bobby becomes gay and or was outed as gay and all this other kind of bullshit Cyclops eventually hooks up with the White Queen making that the third telepath that he hung out with also he of course married and had a baby with the clone of his first girlfriend so this guy's got all kinds of twisted shit going on I'm sorry if telepaths existed in the real world <laughs> I don't think I would make it there's too much sick shit floating around in my brain that I would and, and just my whole issues with privacy and, and not wanting to be involved with, like knowing somebody could actually get inside my brain would fuck my shit up okay this dude goes from one telepath to another so my first question is he's obviously a, a kind of a vanilla mayonnaise kind of dude how boring is this guy that he could hook up with all these telepaths and never 
ever have any of them be like, dude, you know, like like he, he's comfortable in all these relationships. He must have the most boring ass life, boring ass fantasies. And then he hooks up with the White Queen, and it's like, and in fact, I think he had an affair with her before Jean Grey died. And it's like she's pretty kinky. So like, what was Jean not doing that she's doing to woo you, right? So Iron Man, he hooks up with Hellcat. He hooks up with her before she has telepathy, but he does try to marry her. You know what happened to that? that happened after this arc. What's that? He got involved with a bunch of X Men shit. He married the White Queen. Oh, I think I remember hearing about yeah. that. So now Tony's on his second telepath. And I know Tony is not a pure heart, right? This, this is a, the guy who's got some deviancies, I'm sure. It just weirds me out that these guys are so into telepaths. And I just wonder about that shit. But also, it's like... <sighs> I don't, I don't think Tony's a guy who would want to be with a telepath. I don't think he'd be want to be with somebody who's constantly able to read any and every one of his thoughts. I don't know, but he's got mommy-daddy issues and stuff, too. Maybe yeah. he needs someone Maybe so, that can yeah. get in there and But do you want to read comic books where Iron Man is no. married to White Queen and getting involved with X-Men shit? No. Absolutely not, right? No, it's no, a situation no. where, again, it feels like somebody isn't interested enough in Iron Man to write Iron Man stories, so he's got to make it X-Men stuff, right? And so that gets back to the Cyclops thing. It, despite my having prejudices against Cyclops, one of my one of my buddies, Derek William Crabb, one of his favorite heroes is Cyclops. His icon in, in social media is a picture of himself at like 11 years old or some shit wearing the, the uh, Cyclops costume from the 90s or late 80s, early 90s, right? He loves Cyclops and he hates all the shit that was done to his character and he defends his character against that shit. But ultimately, Cyclops does become a villain and he does kill people and do all kinds of fucked up shit and he basically turns on the side of Magneto. So whether or not you still love that character, they fucked that character up so bad that he's now a villain, right? And that's what happens when you keep keep breaking characters over and over again when you let people who have contempt for a hero a hero that some people obviously love and you keep going back and fucking with them at some point they get broke and that's why Hank Pym can't ever do anything because he slapped uh, yeah. a Janet Van Dyne the one time which is fucked up but you should be able to move past that except it defined his entire character going forward yeah. the slap never ends he's constantly slapping her and of course they've done more abusive stuff with him since then because like well if he slaps her he probably does all this shit too Just open up Pandora's you know, box again Tony he, he drank too much he fucked some stuff up he got clean but he keeps backs and now he's a morphine addict just now you know if you're going to write a hero there's a i'm not saying you have to hew to a rigid formula you don't have to fucking follow you know robert mckee and and, and uh, uh joseph campbell and all this kind of bullshit but you have to write for the audience you have to recognize that people love the character of tony stark and iron man they may not have loved him a lot for all those years you suffered and that's how you end up with a teen tony and a crossing and all that other kind of bullshit. well no no, no. but there's a caveat to that that he wasn't a popular character at the time right. so you're gonna get but the- he was popular enough to support a series all those years yeah but but you're, but well, the the market was there for everybody to have a book, right? But it's and some of that's publication due because of obligation or whatever. You know, what I mean, they're like, we're not gonna cancel Iron Man, but we're gonna give him like he's gonna be a teenager now, and we're gonna give you just like no name artists, no name creators are gonna write this book from here on out. We don't have to pay fucking anything to. Meanwhile, you know, Jim Lee's on the X Men and shit like that. So he was tiered correctly. Iron Man currently in 2000 is more popular than Wolverine. Like mm-hmm. if you, there are kids, I had multiple Iron Men knocking on my door yeah. for Halloween. I'd have any Wolverines knocking on my door. How many Shang-Chi's and Moon Knights and, you know. Uh, uh, exactly. Where, where's your Eternals That's where it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Right. Is that when I, I, I can't think of this as, oh, this was just another run another guy had in 1997. No, I'm like, this is when Iron Man might be the most popular superhero on the face of the planet in pop culture. Yeah. And they're putting a writer on it who wants to torture him for right. two 
two years and make him look like just the biggest pussy, just out of touch. Again, the airplane ride, you know, or he's trying to get in touch with himself, so I'm going to go street race and just get absolutely fucking smoked. His first race, he shows up with five grand like a rich douche and gets blown off the fucking streets. And it's just over and over in his fucking 78 Dodge Aspen. That's the rest of this book is Tony getting shit on in his Dodge. Sometimes it's a cosmic power Dodge Aspen, but he just look even when the guy gets cosmic powers and becomes a god he's fucking up and, and can't loser, and, get and out of his own way and, and all of his friends are telling him that he's fucking him up yeah. over fucking up over and over and over again if i were to write a cyclops book i've said this in the past i'm going to figure out oh he's an orphan he every nothing was inside of his control so that's why he's so rigid because he's got to be the, the calm in the center of a storm and he's the, he was the leader of the x-men for so long the first leader the guy who brought those guys together if i'm writing cyclops i gotta figure out all the things about that character that's good that i like i gotta figure out a way of making that character well and it doesn't mean i have to fail to acknowledge all the stuff that that character's gone through but if i'm going to write that guy i've got to figure out why people care about that character because my first role as the person who's been hired as the steward of this character is to serve the character and serve his audience and see with iron man obviously i've gone through most of my life without being a huge fan of iron man you know we've talked about this i i, I was have I, I i had more interest in the character because you love the character so much and you exposed me to some stuff and i read some of that stuff and it didn't bowl me over so i didn't suddenly become an iron man fan but when i saw the iron man movie in 2008 and one of my favorite actors of all time one of the greatest actors of his generation is playing such a great take on Iron Man. I love that movie. And one of the problems I have with those movies is by the end of it, he's like boring married guy with the kid and stuff. It's like, you, you're almost 50 and you're still like gambling and partying and having all this sex and stuff. You're going to not be able to easily trans. I don't care that you had this encounter in the desert with the terrorists and you know, you're, you're trying to change up your life and stuff. I can see where that would have some impact, but you're still probably going to want a bit of strange. You're still probably going to be drinking, which we see in the Iron Man 2. One of the reasons why I like Iron Man 1 and 2 and not so much 3 is because he's still figuring it out in those two movies and he's still fucking up but ultimately he's still the hero he's still the guy who beats the bad guys he still has charisma and he's fun to watch and obviously his politics aren't mine the, the whole the first mo- part of the movie is him selling arms to the government I'm not down with that but he's still the hero of his story and there's a place where okay if you find something irresponsible in like a James Bond or an Iron Man or a Wolverine because he's running around slashing these people if you find issues with that you can address those issues to a degree but ultimately you still have to continue to write that character as somebody that people are going to like and want to read about or you're in the wrong position you're taking the wrong fucking job you're doing a disservice to that character you can address the elements of the character you don't like but ultimately at the end of the day you need to pe- make sure that the people who love that character still love that character when you're done with it. and i think this is the problem is like you don't have an arc here so you don't you just don't have a bad you, it's a bad story like if you don't have some kind of a character arc where you're at this point and then you're at this point at the end of it and they've grown and they've changed and they've bettered themselves or alternately they've made themselves worse and this is the fall of the character and you've got everybody like nobody wants it you're toxic now you're radioactive nobody wants anything to do with you but no, it's like, no, we're still your friends, even though you murdered several of us, which is, Tony's not a big murdering his friends kind of guy, and I realize he had godlike power for a moment there, but and also, the whole thing is derivative of secret wars and, and all this other kind of shit. It's like, so you're, you're derivative, failing on basic story structure, you have no arc, and you're shitting on the character you're supposed to be writing this entire time, and he fucks your character, and then me being interested in Hellcat, this miniseries is another opportunity for her to fail and not sell very well, and then to go, well, this is why we can't do anything with Hellcat. Well, maybe you didn't do the right thing with the right people and all the iron man loyalists never want to see that character ever fucking again (laughs) right right. now it's like infamous for a huge chunk so here's and and, and the next time one of those guys get an opportunity to ride her they're going to write her as a bitchy scold like she was in the book she should have been fucking out drinking with tony she should have been of the bad influence that would have been the interesting way better is that she's trying to get him to party and do stuff and he's into it because he's like feeling bad it's like she's the new drug like they're gonna spend two years where he's not addicted to morphine he's addicted addicted to 
addicted Patsy. to Patsy. Yeah, yeah that yeah. would have been a cool ass arc. But no, because he doesn't care about either one of these characters. He's coming in with an agenda. The agenda is to rip apart a type of person he doesn't like. He never should have been hired in the first place. The problem is that Marvel's woke. The problem is Marvel is star fuckers and they're going to go get some TV guy to write their character for two years instead of somebody who actually cares about the character yeah. and, and understands the character and honestly can write good comics. This is another huge problem I have with the star fucker shit where you're bringing people from outside media. Writing comics is hard. People have trouble writing things like comic books because they're supposed to be relatively short stories. They have certain formulas. They have certain rhythms. There's a way that things go from panel to panel and page to page and arc to arc and if you don't understand that you shouldn't be writing a major publisher's comic book just because you have an IMDB page. Fuck you. So another this is this is like the second page of the very first issue. He talks about how he wants to get he's doing like an interview with some woman and he wants to get back to his roots and she says by roots you're referring to a 65 billion dollar exit package from Stark Unlimited and a 14.8 million dollar Malibu mansion and a computerized iron suit that's as dangerous as a thermonuclear weapon. He's like hmm and he goes I, mean, I did reinvest a third of that exit package and she goes which immediately caused a wild 800 point pendulum swing in the NASDAQ this morning. It's just like it, everything. 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 It's fucking everything. It's like I, I don't want a rich guy trying to solve all my problems too. You can confront that. I Fuck Warren Buffett. Fuck Elon Musk. Fuck Steve Jobs. Fuck Microsoft boy. Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Fuck, fuck Richard Branson. Fuck all these rich guys who think that they're going to run the world and solve all of our problems and they just fuck shit up worse or they continue to get all kinds of tax breaks. If Bill Gates is a real humanitarian, why the fuck does his company still have the patent on the fucking COVID vaccine when third world countries had people dying? Is he really that good of a guy? No, he's not. You can confront that, but you can also still have, but Iron Man is trying to do better or show, show us why what he does isn't what those guys do or even show that he is kind of that bad, but he has good traits and he does some good because ultimately Bill Gates does still do some good. I don't, I'm not happy with these guys. I, I don't think these are the guys who are going to save us. I think these guys perpetuate systems that create he, enormous uh, wealth inequality and continue to depress letter developed nations and all this kind of the fucked up shit. You can confront that, but still write a book about a superhero who finds around an armor and beats up bad guys. You can do both. You can't, you don't just have to spend two years shitting on the very concept when it's your job to address that concept in a way that's going to appease an audience. And like you said, apparently some of these Amazon guys liked it or they're a bunch of fucking ideologue who know what he did and they're fucking pumping him up because you can write an Amazon view for wherever the fuck you want yeah. to. Just like you can post a YouTube video for wherever you want to. And that's yeah, this world. I hate this world at this point. Yeah. Like nobody, nobody, just be honest. Yeah, you like know? I said, I, I, you know, sometimes I do this where, where people go too far one way. Like when I saw that dude's video and he's like screaming at the camera about how bad this run was, I'm like, there's no way it was that bad. Like there's no way. And like I said, in fact, it just made me want to read it more, which is why I picked up that fourth trade. And I was like, now I want to read this. And again, it looked, and it's very pretty. Okay. But it's just like, it shouldn't have taken an entire second trade for the flight to Galactus's ship. That's the flight to Galactus ship. And it, then, you know, I'm sort of like, okay, you know what? This is kind of just bad writing. Like this is not, like I understand what's going on. It's not like it's incoherent. A TV writer is capable of writing palatable dialogue. That doesn't mean that you could write a comic book story with the correct beats and running the correct time. So I, I thought when I was going into 25 issues, I was getting like multiple stories. I thought I was getting multiple stories. And maybe there's an overarching story that takes place, but like like a like a big bad. But Korvac's like an issue in one. Like they, they hit the core. There is nothing else going on other than if you want to call the interaction between Patsy and Tony is another story. It's not because they're together in the room fighting Korvac, right? This is all going like like if this arms trade 
trading story that popped up afterwards was floating in between it. You know what I mean? Like, that's more the storytelling I'm used to, where Korvac is getting more powerful in the background while Tony's doing... That's more what I'm used to with traditional comic books. This was the whole thing. Yeah. And again, Patsy Walker, first issue, is going to be the most important character in this guy's life for the next two years because I said so. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, and it's not even a Patsy Walker that I recognize. I'm just tired of this. And you wanted me to pay 4 or $5 a month for people to just not to butcher the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just like they've got a Power Girl miniseries going on right now. If you know nothing else about Power Girl, she has near Superman level powers. She is a outspoken feminist with a lot of confidence. She's got a mangy cat. Those are the only three things you absolutely have to get right and everything else you can kind of play with. And they're writing this like insecure character, even, even using the name. Like she has a name in the comics. It's Karen or Kara. And they decided, no, she's Paige now. It's like, you're not even using the character's name. You're writing her completely different from any way she's ever been. She's all sad and insecure and a fuck up and she can't get anything right. And it's like, I'm so sick of these fucking kids coming to write these books, bringing their fucking emotional baggage into it and basically having a wine fest for five or six issues. Fucking figure your shit out. You're getting to write a goddamn comic book. Maybe try to be happy about it. Maybe they're not paying you. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but at least that's enjoy true. the fact that they're producing your fucking comic book. I don't want to read about how sad your goddamn life is. Fuck you. I'm here to enjoy the stories I'm reading. I'm here for escapism. I don't need to hear about, oh, I have imposter syndrome. You can write that story, but maybe don't do it with a character that's known for being confident and brazen and shit, you know? Just fuck off. Yeah, so I, I guess to end the podcast, what should I, what Iron Man stuff should I read next? Do, should I go? I never read the extremist stuff. I didn't like the movie. I mean, the Audie Granov artwork is nice. Yeah, I don't, you're not really a Warren Ellis guy. I'm I don't not. know how much you would like that. Yeah, I don't know. I but don't why not? But you know, I don't know. I'm sure that shit's collected, right? I need, I need stuff that's easily collected. I'm I'm not sure I'm vibing on going back to the Dan Slot stuff now, or you know, I, 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 well, oh, that I which was, I that, almost did. See, that was, the, that was the other thing I was going to bring up too. Sad sack who tries to do good and it always turns bad on him is Peter Parker. Go write Peter Parker story. Don't make Tony Stark Peter Parker. Okay, <laughs> basic shit. And uh, there was, um, yeah. So I, the reason I want, I almost bought the Dan Slot stuff was because who was this dude doing the the covers for Dan Slot stuff? Shit. I messaged this guy on Twitter one time because one of these covers, I don't know what issue number this is, but it's not. He's like swimming in a bottle of a glass oh, of bourbon and it's amazing. And so I had actually figured out who the artist was and I messaged him and I was like, please tell me this is a poster somewhere. And the guy's like, I don't think it's ever been reproduced anywhere. Yeah. So this was Tony Stark volume two. This is Dan Slot. But unfortunately, these covers were so good. It like, I kind of wanted to get this stuff, but based on just what other people are saying about it, I probably shouldn't do that. So I don't know. I know that Dan Slot had a really great run on, on Spider Man and a lot of people liked Spider Man. Yeah. And a lot of people hated the Spider-Man too, but he he took some big swings and sometimes it hit and sometimes it didn't. We have Spider-Verse movies because of Dan Slott, okay? They, that that means something. I don't know if that worked as well on Iron Man. I, I just don't know. I, I'm not in the Iron Man circles to know that. I know that obviously it didn't hit as hard, but he's still working at Marvel where a lot of these guys that had like sophomore slump kind of disappeared and all of a sudden they're at like Dark Horse or DC or some shit. Slot's still working for Marvel, so, you know, as a matter of fact, I think he, he just had a run on Fantastic Four and I think that was reasonably well regarded. Uh, I think there's another guy writing it now though. Yeah, so maybe it's the superior Iron Man stuff, but I feel like that, I, I don't know how much backstory I'm going to need. Again, what was nice about this was that I kind of just jumped into it. You ought to try that Kieran Gillen stuff. And also, I, I, if I remember correctly, around the time of the first Iron Man movie, Matt Fraction and Sal LaRocca had a run that was well regarded too. Because like it was funny because it was one of those rare instances of synergy where they got Iron Man right on film. And then when I left Iron Man screening, they're, Bedrock City has a booth where they're selling the new Iron Man comic book by Fraction LaRocca one of the best artists to work on Iron Man in a while and apparently one of the best writers as well 
and elements from their run also found their way into the MCU. So that might be a good place to start. Okay. I will uh, look into that. We'll see. And maybe we'll have another, maybe next year or in another decade, we'll do another <laughs> talk about Iron Man again. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> All right, the only enough serious this time was Billy Hines, who wrote, I enjoyed this more than the films being discussed, I think. Thor beats working. Permanent Marvelite Maximus followers include Alan Moe, Audra Pamel, Mark Carson, and Shanwaj Tamboli. Keepers of the Favorites Flame include Anthony I. U.S. or Us, Artificial Twins, Billis by Vinyl, Chammy Talks Comics, He They, Divinity Rising, Gregory Litchfield, Julia Raul, Kailash, Jualamuki, Writer and Media in Charge, Ladies of Mischief Wrestling Fan Page and Gaming, Maxo, Nick Spence, Ock, Rad Adventures Podcasting Network, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Speaker of the House Kirk Spencer, Thirsty's New and Used, and Tony S. Endurance Survive. Retweet Frank Wins, our CH, and talk nerdy to me. And finally, the Merry Marvel Marching Society, Billy Hines on My Way to Blue Skies, Chris Lydon, Ed Moore Teal Productions, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, Derek WC at History of Comics on Film, Iowa's Joe Is, The Irredeemable Shag, JMT Productions, Keith G. Baker, Randy Caldwell, Richard Field, Satin Tides 101 Podcast, and Superbound. The Marvel Superheroes Podcast is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against their copyright the views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker. You can lose your power, crowd, but you can trim that in step with the film Tony and Iron Man, he's a man who thinks he's a god and a god who wants to be a man. That to me boils down the conflict of the character. I think Tony's ego has always been a major problem for him in his life. And so the book really starts with Tony taking a look at himself. Who am I really? What is Iron Man? I want to be a hero again. What does that mean? Hellcat is someone where the, the artifice has really dropped on her and she has this kind of liberation of being herself. And so she can call Tony on his BS, right? She can look at his new humble image and go, I don't think you're really going far enough if you really want to restart and find your humanity. And I think that makes her a great foil for him in this story.